heavy blow to the skull. This is not a test. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DestoProds.com movies and a television podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dead. Joining me today, we have Birdie. Social media was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, Cave is, for those who haven't listened to any of our other shows, Cave is still recovering from both being yeeted out of his state by a hurricane and COVID. And Birdie only had to recover from being yeeted out of his state, so he was able to bounce back faster. Relatively speaking, but yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah, it'll be me and Birdie this week, uh, just to, so we're giving Cave more time to rest and relax and recover and get his internet working again. Because yeah, New Orleans is still kind of fucked. Yep. I was, uh, I was supposed to get a uh, my flu shot because I have to get all my shots regularly because I'm in a giant petri dish at work. Yeah, and, uh, people keep licking you. Yeah, yeah, off off panel people, but that was something that happened. Um, but of course they scheduled it for me and then didn't tell me that the time they scheduled it for there was no supply. <laughs> so I went there at the scheduled time and they said, "Sorry, we're out." <laughs> several days ahead of time that's fun oh yeah that sounds like it yeah so it i meant i meant to look this up beforehand but it has been a while since that we've had you on the movies podcast yeah i don't i don't know exactly how long it's been i know it's been at least three or four years yeah because sure. we kind of as the workload became more and more we kind of segmented the media horse people where cave is dead's main movies person. And I'm the comics guy, which is what I usually have more time for, even though I do still watch movies and TV. Yeah. Just to, just want to make sure everyone thinking, thinking back in like the early days when I brought all you guys in and it was the only show that had a rotating cast. Mm-hmm. Just that was, that was a weird well, decision yeah. for me to make. Yeah, yeah, but it was also there were more people available back then because like Cora has shifted entirely to uh, editing for your site, and Jimmy has decided to deal with. He decided he hates people, so he deals with animals all the time now. Yeah, <laughs> I remember like back when he was on the site, he 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 mentioned that a lot. It was just like yeah, that stuff. Yep. Ah, but yeah, we're here to talk about movies and stuff. So let's start off your first show. We're back in a while. But getting wrestling out of the way early. All right, I'll be back. <laughs> okay, so like you, you joke about like just falling asleep whenever I talk about wrestling, but you have engaged me about wrestling in the past. I have, but the problem is that I don't have any real experience with it other than what other people tell me and what I randomly find in clips or like a vague understanding of like the mindset of wrestling or at the closest um, good and bad movies featuring wrestlers. Like I like watching people make fun of Hulk Hogan movies, for example, but that's, a, well, it's so. just fun to make fun of Hulk Hogan. Did you hear that guy's a racist? 
And I guess that's what pasta mania does to you. <laughs> Strapation. Complex carbs makes you hate the colors, brother. <laughs> yeah, you do one too many leg drops, your spine gets fucked up, and then you hate black people. But no, like right now is actually a pretty solid time to get into wrestling just because so much of the wrestling that is available is not WWE. Okay, yeah, that is one thing I've heard that it, it the wrestling world would be a lot better without the WWE because they're that's that's the more normal opinion. There are some people who say that uh, WWE will be good once Vince McMahon's gone, which I don't believe since he runs that whole business like a family business. So yeah, it's his his children and their heirs will run it the way he ran it. Just maybe with fewer beef wraps. Well, like that's the thing with because like Triple H is one of the heirs apparent. Because, like, the people who will probably end up taking over once Vince eventually fucking chokes to death on a beef wrap or whatever, he will... It will like it will be, like, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon, and Shane McMahon probably taking over. And Triple H, for a while, he was, like, running NXT. And NXT, for the longest time, was the only good WWE show. Like they gave people time to they gave people like time to like grow and they developed storylines and it wasn't it wasn't the fucking Vince McMahon show where they'd set up a storyline, get the build going, and then five minutes before the culmination, Vince would go, No, I don't like this anymore, do something else. Because that's a lot of what WWE is. It is it is the writers writing a storyline, good or bad. Who fucking cares? Because they all end up going the same way, where they get partway through, and then Vince goes, "Hey, I'm changing things." Like I think there are a couple stories that have come out where it's like Vince has changed the storyline five minutes before the match. Like both wrestlers are like in gorilla, just waiting to fucking go, and then Vince walks in, and is like, "Hey, you're fighting this guy tonight. What? What about the storyline? What storyline? This is better. Look how big he is." So, so basically, big. if someone was to ask who's responsible for all the problems of the WWE, it is that that one joke from the uh, the Vince McMahon Steve Austin days. <laughs> kind of. Like Vince isn't the only problem, but he is the biggest problem. But yeah, like now, um, but now, like just there is so much more wrestling out there that is way more readily available to people. Well, like, like Ring of Honor's always been there, New Japan's always been there, but kind of the thing that blew really blew the doors open was AEW. Because AEW has been doing fucking gangbusters for, the, for like, the couple years it's been around. Uh, have you heard the name AEW? Yes, I have. You've You've mentioned it to me a few times. It's basically... You're hoping that all actual talented wrestlers that work for the WWE somehow manage to end up in AEW without being destroyed by Vince McMahon. A huge chunk of them have. Okay. And, like, I'm going to be talking about... The, so the main thing I'm going to talk about with AEW is All Out 2021. They, this year's big All Out pay-per-view, uh, which is... Which happened, like, a couple weeks ago, I think, at this point. Uh, I watched it, and I fucking loved it. But like I, I just really I, 
I keep reading more and more about AEW and what they're doing, and so much of it is just like these guys are like Tony Khan, who is like the primary booker and the owner of AEW. He knows what he's doing, both as a wrestling fan and as like a wrestling promoter. Because that's the big thing with all this. It was like it was like a bunch of wrestlers got together and started putting together this like show. They started putting together this like indie pay per view, and then. Tony Khan, the son of a billionaire, heard about it and was like, hey, could I get in on that? And they founded a wrestling league. And so it's kind of like just this massive fucking promotion built by wrestlers and a longtime fan of wrestlers with a lot of money. And that's honestly really awesome. And they've been doing a lot of really good shit. Like uh, one of the big things they've been like touted for is how they handled uh, the passing of Brody Lee. Also known as John Huber. He was this like. Uh, he was in WWE for a long time as Luke Harper. He was part of the Wyatt family. Um, and then he was eventually released from his contract. Which is just they fired. For seemingly no reason. Because he was a fucking awesome talent that they had. Then he, was, then he was kind of away for a while. And then he showed up in AEW as part of a floundering storyline. That gave that storyline way more credibility. And got people entirely behind it. And then he infor- yeah, and then he unfortunately passed away um, due to non-COVID related lung issues, I believe. That's a shame. Yeah, it's tragedy, and AEW handled it incredibly well from like every pretend- like every conceivable angle they could have. They handled it with like grace and class. They had this like huge tribute episode for him, and weirdly enough, they got his kid involved in the storyline in a way the guy was involved in the storyline that his dad was involved in and also essentially guaranteed him a contract when he turns 18 if he wants it okay, so now could there's be good, but it could also be bad i don't know well now just every once in a while just like an eight-year-old well just like a 10-year-old in a luchador mask will just come out and just throw papers at assholes just like get the fuck back in the ring you assholes do your job which is what his dad did. It was awesome. Okay. And like the mom is there involved in everything too. And it is just this really great wholesome thing around this like Scientology cult. Which was the storyline. Uh, the Dark Order is weird. But and then they also have they also have like stuff where like multiple wrestlers have been coming out of just saying like like people who have like left WWE and went over to AEW, they're they're just one of the ones we'll be talking about later tonight. He apparently was like, because like you hear stories that are people saying, "Oh yeah, WWE wouldn't let me do my fucking character. They wouldn't let me do the storyline. They found out I could tell a joke, and then all of a sudden I became a comedy act." But with AEW, I'm allowed to do whatever I, I'm allowed to do what I want and be the character I want to be. If I want to be funny, I can be funny one week, and I can be then, then I can be serious the next. And then you had another guy who came out and was like, yeah, WWE gave me everything I wanted. They paid me well. They were super nice to me. They let me do basically whatever I wanted. I want to be in AEW, though. Just this culture that they, the WWE is having where even people that they just give everything to just don't want to be involved with them because everyone else is miserable. Well... I, yeah, I would just say based on the clip, the few clips I've seen of the intentionally filmed and staged behind the scenes stuff that goes on in WWE, if that's the stuff they actually film, 
I feel bad for the actors who have to deal with anything that's so bad they don't even film it. Yeah. I imagine it's probably worse. Yeah. Just whenever you have a, a self-absorbed egomaniac as your uh, all-powerful boss, it, it doesn't usually promote a culture of uh, a, a healthy culture to work in, regardless of the theatricality of it. Yeah. And so let's get into the actual pay-per-view now because I, I just want to – I don't want to spend too much time on this. We've already been talking for like almost 15 minutes. Okay. But – so I'm going, to talk, I'm going to be talking about a couple of the matches just because I I haven't been keeping up like fully with the like week-to-week storyline. So some of this I'm going in with like secondhand knowledge or like knowledge I found out afterwards and not primary understanding. But I do want to talk about just a couple things. Uh so, uh, they have started doing well. They so AEW has done something called, that they call opening the forbidden door, which is basically just they are bringing in people from other promotions to wrestle in AEW and tell storylines across multiple wrestling promotions. So Kenny Omega, who is the current champion, he. He is part of a stable of people called the Elite. Uh, it's a lot of people who used to be in the Bullet Club in New Japan, but they have since like splintered off and become their own little faction. And so it's Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, who are one of the best tag teams in the world. And then uh, for a while there, they also had Luke Gallows and Carl, sorry, Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, who are the Impact Wrestling Tag Team Champions. And Kenny, for a while, was the AEW Champion both Impact Champions, and then the AAA Champion, which is a Mexican luchador wrestling promotion. Okay. Kenny eventually lost the Impact title on AEW. And then, like, on top of that, they're also, like, fucking wrestling. And then he actually defended the uh, AAA title in Mexico in a match against Andrade um, El Idolo, who was also on um, AEW. And Ric Flair was there, which Ric Flair, he's a fucking nightmare and a half, but uh, fucking Andrade's dating his daughter. So he, so Ric Flair, fucking WWE and WCW legend shows up in Mexico to go, hey, I'm fucking here. Go get him. Future son-in-law, I guess. I don't speak Spanish. Which is probably the wrong place to do that because I know that's probably not true in story, but my entire understanding of uh, Lucha Libre is they either have magical powers or they're basically all common writers. Uh, a couple are. A couple are, but like, not all of them. I know one turned into a dragon once. Yeah. There was a famous one in the 50s who uh, fought vampires. Tight. Yeah. There's there's a whole I don't know how you would react to those. I should show some of those to you at some point. A series of uh, Mexican-made... Uh, 50s and 60s horror movies where the wrestler is the hero who must stop the aliens or monsters. <laughs> oh, but yeah, like so, so like people have been like showing up at different promotions. They've had a, uh, they've had their own wrestlers like go over to like wrestle in New Japan, and in this in this pay per view they had a uh, John Moxley, former AEW champion, I believe, um, wrestling a guy named Satoshi Kojima who is apparently like super big over in Japan, not super well known here in America. 
Uh, but then after the match happened, like he like Moxley fought him. It was it was, a, it was a solid match. And then after the match, um, music hit and a guy by the name of Minoru Suzuki walked out. And Minoru Suzuki is a goddamn legend. He is a professional wrestler and a for real mixed martial artist. As well as like this, like as well as like a fairly big actor, uh, he I think he actually showed up in like the most recent season of Common Rider. I can believe it. I can believe there's some crossover between Japanese wrestlers and uh, Jap and uh, Sentai stuff. Yeah, and like he and like like it was it was, a, it was a great reaction. Like like the camera was on John's face. He was like, "Yeah, I fucking won!" And the music hits. And he's like, "Oh motherfucker." <laughs> I think he actually says, oh, fuck. Mm. Like, not Mike. Yeah. Not, not Mike because he wasn't, didn't have a mic. He just finished a match. But like, yeah, he, he mouthed it. Yeah. Enough. And everyone in the crowd was like, fuck, yeah. Minoru Suzuki, let's go. And yeah, that's just, it's just really cool just seeing, just getting more exposure over to New Japan that I haven't really had up till now. Yeah, I think that, uh, that last wrestling clip I sent you must have, I think you said it was from New Japan where this is, Tall, muscular, dark-haired lady did like a spinning uh, axe kick to like essentially clip a woman across the room. But, yeah, yeah. There are a bunch of promotions in New Japan that might have been like Chikara or Superstar or like I think a Star is another one. Stardom. I, they they have a bunch of different wrestling leagues out there. But yeah. Uh, after that was the women's championship match: uh, Doctor Britt Baker, DMD versus Chris Statlander. Which, for reference, in storyline, this was a dentist wrestling an alien. Sure. Yeah, because Doc, because Britt Baker is a for real dentist with a currently open and working practice. She just also happens to be the women's champion of a wrestling league. And then Chris, right. Stat- yeah, and then Chris Statlander, she's just fucking awesome. And she also says that she is from the Andromeda Galaxy. She is currently teamed up with the Best Friends, which is a tag team made up of, uh, I, mean, I think it's uh, Chuck Taylor, Brent, Wheeler Yuta, and Orange Cassidy. One of the most over men in AEW who could not give less of a fuck. His entire gimmick is he is a professional wrestler who doesn't give a shit about professional wrestling. He wrestles with his hands in his pockets. He wears sunglasses at all times. And he is amazing. But yeah, the two of them just had this like fucking ridiculously awesome match. Uh, kind of the standout moment of it is there was a like partial flub where they were like on the top rope. Uh, Statlander was trying to get Baker into like a into some kind of like a avalanche suplex or something, and goes to, goes to like flip her over and fucks up, and she and like. Baker starts like falling over. It's like, ah, oh, fuck. And then while still in the air on the second rope, Statlander just grabs her, gets her back in position and finishes the move. She is just a fucking beast and she loses, but it doesn't like she loses in kind of the best way possible. Because Baker's like main finisher is a submission move. And the two ways to lose with a submission move are to tap out or pass out. And Statlander passes out. Which is, which is honestly the best way if you're like trying to build fucking momentum behind a face or trying to build momentum behind anybody and you have them lose to a submission, you have them lose by having them pass the fuck out because yes, they lost, but they didn't tap. And that's the important thing. 
Uh, next up, match of the night. 100% match of the night. It is a steel cage championship match for the for the AEW Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks, current champions, versus the Lucha Brothers, who are Penta El Cerro Miedo and Ray Phoenix. Motherfucker, this goddamn match goes so hard. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's so good. It's, it's fucking amazing. And just very, very fun thing that makes sense. That only makes sense in context. A $5,000 Jordan covered in thumbtacks is used. Okay, that must be a reference to something I just don't get. Unless it's just a reference to the fact that they have expensive shoes. And Yes, so the Elite, their, their character it. recently has been, they are, they are just fucking like shitbags. Like the Young Bucks, whenever they aren't wrestling, they're wearing rompers. And all of them have like these massive gold chains. Uh, one of the Young Bucks actually like dyed his, like, so the Young Bucks are twins, I believe. Either twins are like very, they're brothers, they're real brothers. Okay, they're not twins. They just look very similar to me. Yeah, they're about four years apart in age, but they are, they look very similar and they have like very long, dark hair and very, very dark facial hair. And so one of the Young Bucks, bleached his hair blonde then also bleached the mustache of his beard blonde just to look like the biggest asshole possible and they come down to the ring and they are wearing like they have like all this designer shit on and they're wearing like fucking incredibly expensive Jordans and then they're fucking like they have like a toady outside who's like is part of the who's part of the elite but not really this kind of follows them around and so he like yeets a bag over the top of the steel cage into it, and the guy the guy takes off one of the young bucks takes off one of his Jordans and pulls out another Jordan, but the sole is covered in thumbtacks and starts kicking people with it. And like both the Lucha brothers have like Lucha masks on, and the masks get like ripped to shit and almost completely fall off, but you still can't make out their faces inside because they are covered in so much of their own blood. <laughs> Match was awesome. All right. Yeah. Uh, and then the other big thing that happened uh, before we get to the final big thing, uh, CM Punk had a match. And this is a very big deal because this is the first time CM Punk has been in a wrestling ring in seven years. Okay, that is a long time. It's almost as long. It's as long as I've known you. Yeah. Long, no, slightly longer. Yeah. So CM Punk, for those who do not know, CM Punk was the guy for a while. He started out in Ring of Honor. At least... He started getting big in Ring of Honor and eventually transitioned over into the WWE where he got over hard. He was the fucking voice of the people. He was loved by almost everyone. His in, his in-ring work was great, but his like, on-the-mic work is really what kind of got people over onto him. And everyone loved him. Everyone loved him except the people who wrote the show. Oh, that's always fun. Yeah. Uh, kind of the... Kind of like the crystallization of everything CM Punk was in in WWE is uh, summed up in the pipe bomb promo. Have you heard of that? No. So the pipe bomb is a promo that, ha- that CM Punk did after he well, while he was in a feud with John Cena. He'd interview with a match Cena was having with r Truth, and then he walked up the ramp and then just sat down at the top of the ramp and started talking. And it is infamous because he 
constantly breaks the fourth wall, breaks kayfabe, and talks about like the people who write the show, people who promote the show, talks about other wrestling promotions, which in WWE, you're not supposed to do. WWE yeah. doesn't yeah, like I, people knowing that there are other wrestling promotions. Okay, yeah, you've I, I'm now from you've told me this story before, but I'm it took me a second for you to remind me. Yes, okay, yeah. So just continuing for the people who don't know. Oh uh, yeah, he eventually just he was just like he eventually said this company will be better once Vince McMahon is dead, live on yeah. air. Yeah, that that line's why I remember this story. It took me a second to get to it, but yeah. Yeah, and then eventually, CM Punk. I I don't know if I can't remember if it was like his contract expired or he just got fired or he left, but he left wrestling entirely. He tried to have an MMA career, didn't work out too well. But people still fucking loved CM Punk. Like anytime, like there there were times where just like in the middle of a match, he people would just start chanting CM Punk, apropos of nothing. Like CM Punk never left the mind of wrestling fans. And then okay. and then 7 years later, he shows up on on an episode of a uh, AEW Rampage, which is their second weekly show. And he's like, "Hey, what's up? I'm back, fuckers." Came back and then uh called out Darby Allen, who is an up-and-coming uh wrestler within AEW. He is a he is a skateboarder who paints half of his face uh, like a skull because he's dead inside. You know, might as well. Uh, he's currently being tutored by Sting. Which, you know, sure. if you gotta if you gotta have a tutor, might as well be Sting. And yeah, so he so he like called him out, he's like, Hey, Darby, you're fucking good. Let's wrestle. And that was it, which that's fine. CM Punk just came back and was like, hey, I want to fucking fight these motherfuckers. Darby Allen, you seem pretty neat. Let's fucking slap hands. And so they do. And they get into this and they get into this match, which is really fucking good. Uh, CM Punk has not feels like he has not lost a step. Um, a lot of this match actually is uh, very similar. People have pointed out to a match between Bret Hart and the one, two, three kid. Also known as X-Pac, I believe. Just like okay. there are just like there are sequences there's like there's like this sequence of holds that happen that very much follow the same kind of sequence that happened with with this old match from like 20 years ago or like more like 30 now probably but yeah it's just it is it's so fucking cool it was a, it was a really good match and it's just really cool CM Punk's back uh then end of the show World Championship match, Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage. Kenny wins that. The match itself wasn't that important, just for the purposes of me talking about it to you, Birdie. But yeah, so yeah, so match goes through. It's all done. It's all done. Woo! And then the elite, everyone's in the ring. It's like, hey, fuckers, anyone who could beat us is either not in this company or fucking dead. So eat my ass. We win. Woo! Then someone's music hits. And who walks out but Adam Cole, baby? Adam Cole, massive like fan favorite wrestler, formerly part of the elite when he was in New when he was in New Japan, uh, used to be in WWE. Uh, he was the leader of the Undisputed Era, this awesome fucking faction in NXT that eventually got split up because, of course, it did. And then he left uh, 
funnily enough, after he left, there were story there was a potential storyline leaks that happened from AEW where they were thinking of turning Adam Cole into a manager, which Adam Cole got out when he Adam Cole got good getting out when he did. He's like, fuck, dude, that is who the fuck? Who in the goddamn shit thought, hey, let's take one of the most over and best workers in the fucking company and make him a manager. Yeah, so Adam Cole comes out and everyone's like, oh shit, it's gonna be Adam Cole versus the Elite. And then Adam Cole just fucking clocks one of the fucking faces. I believe it's a jungle boy in the face. And it's like, it's like hey, you fucking dumbasses. Why would I fucking go after these guys? They're my best friends. Because yeah, he's part of the Elite. And then a and then a different set of music hits. And it is a trap remix of Flight of the Kong, of Flight of the Valkyries. And he walks out, but motherfucking Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, also known as Daniel Bryan, one of the biggest dudes at WWE, who was the guy I was mentioning earlier, who was like, "Hey, WWE did everything I wanted. Fuck him." All right. And it just turned into this massive fucking thing, and it's so good. It's so fucking cool. Oh, wrestling's fun again. <sighs> That's it for wrestling. I just wanted to get that out there. I kept it to under a half hour. Yeah, that's, that's you. You you uh, you were betting it at an hour, so that is much lower than you predicted. So, <sighs> yeah. So that's all I got to say. I, if any of you at all have any interest in getting into wrestling, I would recommend going onto YouTube and checking out AEW Dark. It is a, I think, like half hour or one hour show that's released, I think, weekly, where it's just a bunch of dark matches, just matches that aren't broadcast on TV, where wrestlers can like begin working on their promo game and in-ring work before getting put on TV. It's it's a solid fucking chunk of wrestling that's available for free on YouTube. Check it out if you're interested. So that we're done with wrestling. Birdie, what have you been watching? So literally, you, you've watched nothing about wrestling? No, I watched a bunch of stuff, but I just talked for a half hour straight and I want to take a break. Alright, that's fine. Um... I guess I'll get a couple of things out of the way to go back and forth. I don't know how you did things with Caveman. But, uh, uh, we, we, we changed it up sometimes. I just I just wanted to get the wrestling out of the way early so it wasn't just like in the middle of the show. Just, hey, here's a brick where you can just stop watch listening. All right. Well, I mean, I think most of what I'm talking about is going to bore people to tears because it's either old kids shows or a couple of new movies or old, slightly older movies. So not much that would interest newer people. So I guess I'll get the most recent thing out of the way first because it's the last time I went to the movies in two years almost now because so I went to see Black Widow oh yeah which now these days is now going to be known not for the movie itself but for the fact that uh, Disney gypped its main star because of the release strategies which they Really shouldn't have, based on how Shang Chi did, which I still have not seen. Yeah, I I need to, I need to see Shang Chi. I I, I want to see it, but I I've had no time, and this weekend is the first time I've had any time free to maybe go to the movies. And I check the schedules, like nope, it's leaving schedules to be replaced with Venom. Let there be carnage. 
so you know a deliberate slap in the face to me uh yeah i want to see it but i don't want to sit in a movie theater wearing a mask for two and a half hours yeah i think i've missed it so i'll just have to wait until it shows up on disney plus if which uh, i believe okay. is november yeah probably right right before um right before die hard hawkeye edition <laughs> uh, which is what that is yeah but like, fuck it man I'm down yeah me too It's, it's I, Jeremy Renner works best as kind of like tired comedian that's yeah. what he's always been good at so yeah and I like Haley Steinfeld like from what I've seen I like Haley Steinfeld as Kate, Kate Bishop yeah she's a solid choice yeah and Sadly, given comics record, people are like, ugh, another passing the torch character? Why does anyone want this? This is a terrible idea. And I'm like, then you clearly have not read anything with Kate Bishop. So Yeah, just uh, well. th- that show comes out and th- then there's the fucking trending hashtag not my not my Hawkeye. Yeah, probably. But anyway, um So Black Widow <laughs> I feel weird starting about this and say if it's it's okay. <laughs> It's a perfect. It's a perfectly middling um, spy action movie, and that's not. That's nothing against uh, um, any of the actors. Like I really like Florence Pugh as a White Widow, considering uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson has burned any bridges with Disney she had. She's probably not going to be resurrected in any way. So if there's going to be any new Black Widow stuff, it's going to be with her, which is fine because. Yeah. She is a good character. Yeah, and Disney I, needs someone younger and a bit more compliant. Yeah, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be shitting on Disney so hard throughout this entire fucking show. That's fine. That's fine. I, I, I am, I have accepted the balanced position of I like some stuff Disney makes, but I don't like Disney as a company. Yeah, that's the thing. I like just, the, the Disney. Disney is a dog shit company that puts out great art because they can afford to buy everyone who can put out good art. Yeah. Well, I mean, that doesn't mean anything because uh, Warner Brothers can keep buying people who make good art and they can't always seem to wrangle it together in a cohesive fashion. Like like su- the, like the, the Suicide Squad kind of shocked me, <laughs> even if it's James Gunn, because it's still under Warner Brothers. Because the head, the head leadership at Warner Brothers are still like, you know, the Z- the Zack Snyder Justice League movie. That's that's the best thing we've ever accomplished. That's what we should yeah. try to uh, imitate. Yeah. So our next release is going to be a new negative cut of the entirely unedited footage from Zack Snyder's release. I'm gonna take it, just throw it out there, and it would be very funny to me. If like they did that, and then it turned out that like Cyborg looked infinitely better in just the mocap suit, possibly. <laughs> yeah, and speaking speaking of Cyborg, I still need to fucking watch season three of Doom Patrol. Yeah, I need to get caught up on Doom Patrol. That's another show on my list. I didn't uh, talk about it here just because I want to get further before I talk about it again. But anyway, um, so it the things that are worth talking about in this that are good are like the relationship between Florence Pugh and Scarlett Johansson really works. They have good chemistry. I like the whole, uh, like we were not actually sisters, but we bonded like sisters. So we're stuck in that awkward sense of, we know what we had wasn't real, but we still felt it. That's a, that's a good dynamic for, you know, 
fake spy shit. Yeah. Um, David Harbour as uh, the Red Guardian is what you expected, and I I want more excuses for him to be the Red Guardian, <laughs> even in minor, minor positions. <laughs> just season four of Stranger Things, just the Red Guardian shows up, not Hopper. Yeah, I mean... Or like they could make it real subtle because one of my favorite jokes in it is he escapes from prison using a uh, a faulty Russian Red Guardian action figure that has a fake key in it to help him get out of his chains. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that Hellboy movie should have been better. Yeah, again, not his fault. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just feel bad for him like that. It was like it was like it felt like a big role for him, and then just movie just yeah. And that director should not have made a movie that bad. Like, <laughs> the director of Dog Soldiers should not have made a Hellboy movie that bad. Oh, it's from that guy. Fuck yeah, that's wow. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, that's, that's, I mean, I know he made The Descent, but I hate The Descent, but, so, the the main one I always go to when I want to mention that director is like, oh, this is the guy who made Dog Soldiers, and he made a real piece-of-shit monster-hunting movie? That's sad. (laughs) Like, something went wrong there. Yeah. But anyway, uh, what else worked? Um, I, I she's not in it enough for me to get a good sense of her. But I like um, what is that actress's name? Um, the woman from the mum, the Mummy movies, uh, Rachel Weiss yeah. as the uh, uh, scientist slash mom of the group. Who uh, your first aside outside of the. Uh, kind of fun but too long uh, intro sequence where they're all eating dinner at American household before they then have to flee the country with their stolen American secrets. Uh, aside from that sequence, you, you're introduced to her first in the middle of nowhere on a pig farm where she uh, is uh, showcasing her uh, mental conditioning technology to where she can just tell a, an animal to stop breathing and it will. Huh. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, she sold that, uh, she gave that technology to the head of the Red Room, which, if you're familiar at all with Marvel Comics, is, like, they might as well be Hydra or AIM. They just seem to only involve themselves in affairs that fuck with the U.S. or the Avengers, so they're just (laughs) not Because, like, the Red Room and um, the Winter Guard, the Russian Institute of the Avengers, you know what, I really, another reason... I hate bringing up Jason Aaron's Avengers because I don't like talking about it because it's just boringly bad. But if I wish he had found a way to make um, the like Russian Avengers versus U.S. Avengers thing more interesting because that's not an it bad concept, especially now. Yeah. But it's, but again, that entire book's a piece of shit, so I'm not going to talk about that anymore. Like it, I'm I'm trying to remember like the the Chinese team. Like it was it was like the great. Ten, the great uh, the the ten guardians. Ten guardians. Is that Marvel or DC? I can never remember. That's that's Marvel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I remember. It, I remember there been the, a... the DC is the Chinese Justice League thing, which is also a good book that I'm sad died. Yeah. That that was a really good book. Yeah. 
Uh, I want I want to yeah. see I want to see more from Chinese Superman. I liked him. Yeah, maybe he'll. No. Whenever they eventually reboot the universe again, I'm sure we'll see those characters during the crossover that leads to it. As I'm sorry that I'm resigned to it, but I know how DC operates. No, yeah, so, I was <laughs> the, the second you said that, I was like, no, they would. Oh no, they would. Yeah. Who's ready to go back to Fawcett City, baby? Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think what else. Like the the reason I'm kind of jumping all over the place is that while the there's nothing particularly there's a, the all the action stuff and like the camaraderie in the movie is perfectly fine. It's just very boilerplate. So there's not that much to talk about. Uh the only other two things that we're talking about is they got they made one good villain and one really bad villain. And by which I mean not done well unfortunately the really bad villains the one people actually care about okay because, I, was, I, was just, I was just gonna ask like is it taskmaster yeah it's taskmaster <laughs> because okay so the good villain uh well first they get they picked a great actor for you know hammy bad bad guy ray winstone so yeah <laughs> one of the one of the good ones so he's good at that and he 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 belittles women he he is he massage he he views them as like it's like toys to be controlled. He treats all people as playthings for him to manipulate. Uh, he has this really gross scene where he uh, touches a grown woman in ways that no grown man should without calling the police. <laughs> so you appreciate it when um, uh, Scarlet finds uh, when uh, Natasha finds a way around his mind control because that's the only reason he's allowed to do any of this and. Uh, Uses that to trick him into, you know, pulling the, the and you got me monologuing bit it, <laughs> to reveal his secret weapon and then use him, use his failure to understand his situation against him. So where she breaks his, he, she bashes his teeth in and then uses his own handprint to disarm the weapon he was going to use to destroy the world. Uh, and then dies. Uh, how does he die? Oh, right. Yeah. So at least he dies uh, spectacularly. Uh, he blows up in a helicopter, then goes through uh, helicarrier blades. Nice. So they they want hit, and you see the chunks. So yeah. he he's, he's dead. dead. Yeah. Ray Winstone yeah. signed a one movie deal. Yeah, which I don't blame him for. This is fine. This is a good one movie villain. Now ta the problem with Taskmaster is uh, okay. They tried to make the character fit the narrative they were trying to sell in the movie, but in doing so, they kind of screwed over the character. Okay. Because, um, so in this case, Ta I know Taskmaster's real identity doesn't really matter all that much because he's just kind of like a freelance prick who will fight people or train people or do dirty hand dirty shit. Because I know you asked me about the Dark Rain comics a few weeks back, and, uh, one of the more fun ones for me is when Deadpool hires Taskmaster to help him fuck with Norman Osborn during Dark Reign. <laughs> Which they do by uh, uh, having them both wear Deadpool uniforms and alternate where they are to fuck with him while combined with the fact that they keep swapping off a, t uh, a short-range teleporter. <laughs> so they're essentially they're essentially popping in and out of Avengers tower and his own home and his secret archives and just fucking with him and his little team of, uh, black ops, uh, Avengers. And, and taskmaster hates Deadpool because 
he prefers to work for people that are not unhinged, but he's still a fun foil to Deadpool for that reason. Yeah, I'm not super familiar with Taskmaster from the comics, but from what I have read of him, I've enjoyed him infinitely more when he is almost played for comedy, but instead of being like dead yeah, serious. Cause, yeah, because like he's introduced in the 70s on this cover where he's got his own version of the Captain America shield. He's got a bow. He's got a sword. And it's just to show off that he can imitate and master the styles of anyone he sees fight and he can like keep it forever. So yeah, he's a- for those who don't know, Taskmaster, yeah. his entire thing is that he has a, I think it's a photomuscular memory. Uh, yeah, I, it's not, I, it's not eidetic because eidetic is just, you can remember everything you yeah, see. His, can- his whole thing is that he can, he can mimic any combat style after seeing it once. Yeah. So, so he will like, so he has seen these superheroes fight. Any superhero whose powers, any superheroes whose combat style is not reliant on superpowers, he can mimic. Yeah. So there's great scenes of him, uh, and they show these. They show these off in the movie where he's mimicking moves from like Captain America or Hawkeye, or um, I think he even does Spider Man at one point. I'm trying to remember. Like that stuff works. The problem is. The explanation there's so the problem is one they they dev- they dev- they deprive the character of a personality, which is a problem because I like Taskmaster's personality even if it is just like in it for himself sh- shithead. Yeah. And the other problem is just like the explanation for how Taskmaster is Taskmaster in this movie because it's like oh, um, this was it one of uh the Red Room's assassin candidates who uh, Natasha almost killed trying to kill the head of the Red Room when she escaped and has now been rebuilt as like a, a cyborg with those powers, which is just like... Boo! Yeah, that's lame and not interesting. And they're trying to make you feel for the relationship between Taskmaster and Natasha. I'm like, don't do that. That's... that's yeah... <sighs> I don't know. Like, that's the only part of the writing for the movie that doesn't work for me is that decision to, like, we need to make you feel for Taskmaster. I'm like, no, that's that's like that's like the uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man mistakes problem where not every one of Spider-Man's villains needs to be a a uh, down on their luck uh, tragic figure. Like, some of them are just idiots with superpowers. Yeah. <laughs> Like, in particular, three, because Sandman should not have been the one with a tragic backstory or, like, the relatable backstory. They're just, he's just an idiot with sand powers. Yeah, and, like, that's that's half of Spider-Man's villains. It is, like, like one half is an idiot with superpowers. The other half is a genius with superpowers. Yeah. And everyone likes the geniuses with superpowers, you know, like Doc Ock, Green Goblin. I think that's it. Uh, I'm I there's there's a the fucking vulture. Okay, yeah, vulture. It, it vulture's ego often overrides his genius. That's why I sometimes forget about him. But because yeah, fair. Yeah, because I know like yeah, Norman Osborn's crazy, but he's he's usually smart. Uh, of course, like you you've watched Spectacular Spider-Man, right? Yes. Okay, so you remember the, the first episode was Vulture trying to take out Norman Osborn. Uh, in his vulture suit, and Spidey was just like, "Really, dude? You've invented a functional single-person flight suit, and you use it to be an old guy in the sky attacking a rich billionaire?" Yeah, 
It's very much that line um, that's been memed to death by people between Spider-Man and Stegron. It's like, you've invented genetic mapping technology. You could cure cancer, but I don't want to cure, cure cancer. cancer. I, I want just to hurt the dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that interaction still. Yeah, no, it's very funny. It's. I think that was during... Um, I think it was... Like, Spidey stepped in during Wolverine and the X Men. I think during that. Yeah, era. yeah, that, that was Spider Man and the X Men. It was like his students that got like teleported to the Savage Lands, and then Sauron and Stegron mm-hmm. were there. Yeah. So yeah, the and then the every teacher and then every teacher was just like, I do not trust Spider Man. I know that he has been a superhero for years, been a part of every Avengers team, and our principal fucking loves him, but I don't like that guy. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of which, I've been reading Dark Ages, although I might talk about that later. But the only funny thing about that is that Charles Xavier is now forced to live with a bunch of people who aren't mutants, so he has to be more likable. <laughs> oh, the most struggle. Of the, most of the mutants died during the event that caused the Dark Ages, so he has he's now stuck with everyone else. So he's like, oh, shit, now I have to be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> These guys know my tricks, so I can't just mind fuck them. But yeah, just to to finish off Black Widow, I, I got a, you can tell by the number of random one-off tangents I went on that it's kind of hard to talk too long about the movie. That's just the biggest mis- The only real big mistake with it was Taskmaster between like taking away the character's personality and like that that explanation for why they are the way they are is just not fun. When Taskmaster's whole thing is like kind of a fun C-list one-off villain type thing, yeah, or just like like a recurrent or um. It, it should basically end up like a slightly more competent version of the Leaper, who has become a recurring character in yeah, the on, like honestly, so, yeah, like the the Leaper in like Batroc in the MCU is who fucking Taskmaster is in the comics. Yeah, just he'll show up every now and again just to be like, "Hey, I'm doing something kind of evil, but I'm getting paid, so eat my ass." Yeah, so that's kind of uh, maybe Marvel just decided they have to pump him, pump Taskmaster up a little bit more to be the supervillain to a superhero. But don't take away the character's personality or like the fun backstory. That's that's not what anyone wanted. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually just thinking the entire time like if they had have not had Taskmaster, is there any other like named comic character that would have fit into this? Because I can't I'm try, like I. Does Natasha have a lot of like solo villains? Not really, and that is certainly part of the problem with making a solo Black Widow movie is that because she is partly a superhero, they think of her as a super villain. So, uh the closest you could get and this wouldn't fit since it's been destroyed so many times at this point in the Marvel universe is Madame Hydra. Like she's a big enough villain to be a super villain that Natasha would fight. The problem is that Hydra has been destroyed over and over again in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And the, the and to, Mar- to Marvel's credit, they try not to repeat themselves in the movies. So, but at the same time, because of that, Madame Hydra hasn't been a thing, and uh, or Viper, who's sometimes called Madame Hydra, but sometimes just a member of Hydra, has not really been a thing because of that. Could the only have- other possible option is bullseye but they haven't done anything with bullseye outside of the netflix show so could they have gone with the the scientist supreme from aim 
uh, Rappuccini or because they're not going to they they wouldn't do Modoc. Not Modoc yet. No. But like but they but could, like, do- I, I remember, I remember in the comics, like relatively recently, in the last couple of years at least, they had a female scientist supreme. Yeah, that's Monica Rappuccini. Yeah, they could. That that's possible. And I think the only reason they went with the Red Room is because they wanted to make it a more personal to Natasha's story. But I guess they it would have made more sense maybe then to maybe tie the Red Room to AIM. Since the Red Room is basically a supervillain organization anyway. Yeah, so, like, like it could have been like AIM was using like the Red Room's like mental conditioning tech to say put blocks in place uh, in in the mind of like this incredibly powerful killing organism organism they were building. Yeah, and it would also explain why the Red Room has the ability to make a a uh, cloaked floating fortress floating uh, a few miles above the the middle of nowhere in Russia. Yeah, and then Task so, Ma- and then if they wanted to include Taskmaster, then just Aim was like, "Hey, Taskmaster, here's a fucking stack. Go kill this bitch." Yeah, he's like, "Yeah, all right." Yeah, so I think that that's probably a better way to manage that. Um, so yeah, I think it's just the by focusing it entirely on the Red Room, it becomes a more personal story, but it's not as good of a superhero story. I yeah, guess they've, the they've been building up the blow-off to the Red Room for, like, years. Like, so much so much of, like, her dialogue with Clint, especially, has been about all the fucking red in her ledger and all that's tied to the Red Room. Yeah, and that by its on its own, that's fine. That's not a bad idea for, a, a, like, a, a particularly a closing story because Black Widow's dead, before both by before the end of this movie, not in the movie, of course, but is she's she's dead before the ending credit scene where uh, Florence Pugh's character, uh, what is her name? Uh, Yelena. I was trying to remember the White Widow's name because I've been reading the comic. She's currently in with Black Widow. Uh, is visiting her grave and then. Um... <laughs> okay, I do like this. So I haven't seen what they plan to really do with her. Um... Julia Louise Dreyfus as the Contessa has been fun. I don't know. Have you watched uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier? Yeah, I saw her in that. Okay, yeah, she shows up in this as kind of like. Well, firstly, she shows up being annoyance by walking into uh, Florence's at uh, Natasha's grave and says, Ugh, it "Smells like the Midwest." <laughs> uh. uh. <laughs> And clearly they're setting up something that's going to happen in um, the Hawkeye show because the last thing we see is her handing a photo to Florence Pugh. It's like, hey, this is who's responsible for Natasha's death. And, of course, it's a picture of Jeremy Renner. So Yeah. yeah. Not Hawkeye, <laughs> so the actor be- Jeremy Renner. Yeah. so <laughs> It's his headshot. <laughs> yeah, see, she has to go to Hollywood and kill Jeremy Renner before he can start in Hawkeye. Yeah, it just, tur- just turns it's into the last bad. action hero. But it's good. I suppose. Because <laughs> I think you and I did that movie for your show, and it was boring. <laughs> a movie like that should not be boring. But yeah, so it's, if I had to rate it on your scale, um, like three and a half out of five, it's fine. Okay. It's nothing spectacular, but uh, it's better than some of them. Like, I still think, I don't know about you, but the, like the low points for the Marvel movies are like either Iron Man 2 or uh, Thor 2. Yeah. Right, those are kind of the two worst ones. I like, was not a fan of Iron first. Man 3. 
No, that's probably pretty low on the list too, just because it's it's such a jumbled mess that ultimately doesn't contribute all that much. But um, and also uh, Shane Black, I'm increasingly fucked off with just because of his bad tendencies. But not him personally, but uh, he. When you have friends who are convicted rapists, you should usually hmm. get them out of your life, not ask them to act opposite women. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, might be a good idea. But yeah, it's fine. Yeah, and I like, wouldn't—I wouldn't say like it is as bad as the ones we mentioned, but like Ant Man and the Wasp, pretty low on there too. I think. Yeah, that's kind of like I put that higher than the other three we mentioned, just because I thought it was fun to watch, but it's completely superfluous. Yeah, and just like it, it is, it is a movie entirely carried by the chemistry of its cast. Yes, and like yeah. and like the novelty of the premise, because size changing shit is just fun, and they do it well. Yeah, and they do use it as an excuse to set up a really dark episode of uh, What If. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so I talked. I think I talked longer than I tended to about Black Widow, but that, it's fine. Alrighty. So you want to talk about something? Uh, yeah, sure. Let me talk about um, Escape Room Tournament of Champions. So how do okay, you? Okay. For for reference, I have seen. I I'm I still I have to apologize to Caveman all the time for this. I dragged him to see the first Escape Room in <laughs> January of 2020 before it came out. <laughs> Uh, it was one of those movies where, oh, that's an interesting trap. It makes no goddamn sense, and it's impossible for it to be rigged in such a way because no one could possibly solve it. But and the characters are completely meaningless. But I guess it's like a spectacle of a of an escape room, not like an actual escape room. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I, Caveman and I had talked at length about the uh, first escape room in a previous okay. episode. Yeah, yeah. And I think we both agreed that this move that that movie was inoffensive but nothing exciting no it's it's a perfectly january movie which is when it came out yeah january of the year it came out yes and escape room tournament of champions continues that trend yeah which is appropriate because you know it came out uh i believe in february of this year so only slightly better yes so for the uninitiated the original escape room movie was six people get invited to an escape room where it turns out that the entire thing is this like massive fucking weird conspiracy involving this fucking huge company. And they were all sole survivors of incidents and they wanted to see some weird bullshit or whatever. Uh, and then it ends with uh, two people escaping because one of the because the main girl of the group is like, hey, guess what? Fuck your game. I'm going to do my own thing. And yeah, so the two of them escape in the movie ends with the two of them deciding to. With the two of them deciding to track down, I believe it's Minos. Minos, yeah, because you know, it's a reference to the, the Minotaurs. Yeah, uh, you're, tra you're tracking down Minos and figuring out what the fuck is going on. And also take them down. So. Whoever them are. Yeah. And it was like implied uh, that at the end of the first movie that Minos and the game master had been had been like, you know, saw that this happened. And I was like, all right, yes, let's set up the next escape room for them because we are going to specifically target them. 
Uh, and yeah, it turns out that they were specifically targeting them, but they managed to escape again because of sheer luck. Like the plane that they were setting up at the end of the first movie, they were going to board it, and then, and then the uh, Zoe just goes, "Yeah, no, I still don't like planes," and leaves. And then all of them are just like, "Ah, dinger." So yeah, eventually they get to New York and are trying to figure out, um, and are and are like trying, like they, they've, like they got this, they got a clue at the end of the last movie that was like, "Hey, they're in New York." We need to go to New York. So they do goes to New York. Uh, they find a building that ha- that was supposedly the uh, headquarters. They have like they have like Google Street images of this place where like people have been coming in and out of it until like th- a couple weeks ago, and now they got there, no one is there. I should get necklace stolen, and they eventually chase down the guy and lose him on the subway, which is where the game begins again, because. Yeah, they are. Because this is like Saw, but with like none of the stupid moral ambiguity bullshit. Yeah. Which, and, to be fair, I think was always the worst part of the Saw movies, but that's. Yeah. And so the first trap they're in, they have to uh, you they have to find missing letters on subway advertisements and like notices and stuff. Pull corresponding subway handles, get a token to put into a slot before the entire before the entire train car they're in uh, electrifies to the point that no one can touch anything. Okay. Yeah, messages welcome back. And then we learn that each of these people have we learn in the train car that each of these people have been in different uh, like were previously in escape rooms like this. And each of the different escape room uh groups have different themes behind them. Uh one of them was a group consisting entirely of priests one was a group consisting entirely of social media influencers, and one was a group of people who could not physically feel pain. That's oddly specific. Yes. <laughs> uh, so next up, uh, in terms of escape rooms, there is a bank full enti- filled entirely with lasers. Uh, if they fucked up and touched the wrong things, lasers pop that everywhere and fucking slap people up. Well, smack that bitch up. Uh, yeah. Uh, after that was a postcard, like like a, like wish you were here beach postcard kind of thing. Uh, as as the beach was entirely covered in like the beach was covered in sand and the um like it occasionally got like fluidized, turning into quicksand. Like it says quicksand, but it's not actually quicksand; it's fluidized sand, which is a different thing. Okay. Yeah. For those for those interested, quicksand is basically just sand and water. It's basically just a puddle of sand. Uh, fluidized sand is if you sp- if you blow a specific pressure of air at specific intervals underneath sand, the entire the entirety of the sand will turn into like liquid, and you'll be able to just like seep through it like water. It's neat, and yeah, so they all yeah, so just kind of going through trying to get all this shit. Um, they eventually escape that room and get into a and go out into a city and it's like, oh yes, we got out. Oh wait, you fuck, we're still in the room. And every couple minutes, the room will uh, set off a sprinkler system that is full of acid. Oh goody. Yeah. Uh, And the entire time 
that they've been going through these different rooms, they have been finding references to a girl named Sonia. Just like some some aspect of all of these rooms have had something to do with Sonia, and eventually, um, they get and eventually, um, Zoe is kind of the only one to survive to the end. Uh, and I'm, try, I'm just trying to remember. I'm just trying to, it's been it's been a couple of weeks since I've seen the movie. I'm trying to just remember all the actual elements of it. All right. Uh, so yeah, Zoe ends up in front of a uh, Sonia's room. Sonia is the daughter of the game master. Because up until because like at the very very start of the movie, we actually got to see the other side of the call from the game master. Uh, so we got to see him, and he's just he's a guy. Oh my god, some guy. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, uh, the actor's name is uh, James Frain. He's been in a bunch of stuff I've seen before that I've enjoyed him in, but he's not a name that I would go like, ah, yes, you know, James Frain, famous TV actor James Frain. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I'm, I don't know, did you get to the Asriel stuff in Gotham? No, I've heard that's where it goes batshit insane. Yeah, he's Asriel. Ah, okay. Oh, wait, James Frayne. I think I know that name, sadly. Although, it's, if I'm correct, it's from a show no one should actually watch. I think he was also in The Cape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see, kind of... Uh, kind of uh, James uh, uh, James Frayne. Yeah, sure, I'm saying that. Let's try to remember how his name is spelled. F R A I N. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. That's he's the bad guy from the cape. Yeah. 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 And he's the game which, master. Woo. Yeah. Which no one. I, I I apologize to anyone for even referencing the cape. No one should remember that the cape was a thing. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do. Uh the cape. I remember the cape. I only remember the cape because when. The media horrors were much younger. We reviewed the cape. It was not good. Shocking. Like to the point where it didn't even finish its season run on air. Bad. Like the last two episodes never aired. Yeah. The show was not good. Mm -mm. But yeah, so she... Yeah, so... The only thing I remember about it is the... uh whatever that British guy is who uh, was like if Killer Croc just had a skin condition. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Zoe ends up in front of Sonya's room and is like, hey, guess what? My dad's the fucking puzzle master. You gotta get me out of here. Blah. And hey, guess what? Ben, your buddy, your buddy, your, your boo fan, he's, he's still alive. I know, I know you saw him get eaten by the sand, but my guy got him. And now he's in a different escape room because apparently Ben can't not be in the game. Oh, of course. Yeah. In case you forgot, (laughs) in the first movie, Ben was the only person to make it to the end of the escape room through the escape rooms. He had to go through every room, watch everyone die, and then almost got shot in the head and only it was only saved because fucking Zoe 
got out of the room a different way. Which also may or may not be a plot hole. Yeah, well, because, I mean, when you have the problem... Sorry, it, you finish all Yeah, because if you get to the end of the escape room and the guy running the escape room goes has to kill the person who won, how could there be multiple survivors of escape rooms? Unless that's, like, part of the script. Like, like badly written, like, again, Gotham or something like it would say, no, it was always part of the plan that we would fuck up and these two would survive. If There was no other way for this to have played out. It did. Yeah, well, like, so um, with... So what I mean by that is I don't mean how could two people survive one escape room. I mean, how could there be multiple people from multiple escape rooms? Yeah, no, I know. And my point being a badly written ongoing series would establish at some point several movies in. Well, you see, we actually meant for it to look like we fucked up and let two people escape from every escape room so that we could set up this scenario where pairs could emerge and be in a Terminal of Champions escape room where we would then fuck up again and set up another turn. So you see, it's one of those... It's it's essentially the writing equivalent of we meant to do that. Well, actually, that's, that's the fun thing with this series. They admit they fucked up. Okay. All right. Yeah, like 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 Zoe escaping the room. That they were not like, "Ah, oh, yes, we meant for you to do that." No, that was completely by accident. Okay. Uh and well, then, in that case that's 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 a plot hole then. But Yeah, and like in this movie, like they set up the plane. Like the plane is meant to be an escape room for them to get through, but they just don't get on the plane. Yeah. Which reminds me of a fun joke idea I'd heard about again speaking of the Saw series. Like as bad as the Saw movies have gotten, I the only Saw movie I'd want to see at this point is this joke premise uh, a Saw fan had suggested once where uh, since all of the Saw movies have to involve the the guy who was originally Jigsaw, even though he's been dead since the second movie, uh, let's tell the story of a Jigsaw of a Jigsaw apprentice who was a complete fuck-up <laughs> and, his, and his training with um, Jigsaw to the point where they like intercut bits from various Jigsaw movies, but it, the, the apprentice who's supposed to make sure everything happens just keeps fucking up. And, like, <laughs> Like the tape that explains the uh, how to get out of the trap is ju- is essentially just paying tra la 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 or something like <laughs> that. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so Ben and Zoe escape. They free the daughter. Everything's great. But whoopsie doops! It turns out that Sonia is actually the person who's been making the puzzles the entire time. Damn it, Vince McMahon. I hate how often that Vince McMahon joke can be applied in bad writing. <laughs> yeah, I keep seeing stuff in this fucking list, uh, like like this recap on Wikipedia, and uh-huh. like I don't I remember. Don't, yeah, I don't remember much of this shit happening. Oh, that's always fun. Like the same thing basically happens if I look at a. Uh, uh, a recap of the movie The Bye Bye Man, which I know I saw because I dragged, again, I dragged Cave into it in another January uh, horror movie. And the only stuff I remember about it at this point is the CGI mold demon who kept sticking his nose into rooms, and to which I just kept going, You guys okay in here? You need some towels? Room service is going to be coming in an hour. All yeah, right, have like, a good night. Like this movie keeps mentioning Deborah Ann Wall in a part of it, and I don't remember Deborah Ann Wall being in the sequel. I, 
I don't. Th- she died in the first one, so I don't know how she could be in the sequel. But yeah, according to this, the next room. Yeah, so after the fucking acid room, the next room is a childhood containing a diary from Sonya, revealing the rooms are based on a fun day shot with her mother. Zoe discovers Sonya's mother is Amanda Harper, who survived her fall in the original escape room and was forced into designing escape rooms for Minos after they abducted her daughter. Okay, so that's a retcon then, because I was pretty sure she died in the first one. But all right. Yeah, okay. I th- okay, I think I watched the extended cut where that didn't happen. Ah. All right. Because James Frain apparently only appeared in the extended cut. I see. Okay. Anyway. Um Yeah, so I I don't know. This these movies are dumb. I will probably watch all of them. That does it for escape. Sorry, the, the last thing I want to mention with escape room. So this this fucking movie, I have never noticed it so much before. But this movie has an ungodly amount of ADR. Okay, I mean that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it is when can't... it's this noticeable because fifty percent of the okay. dialogue is spoken from off screen. Okay. Well, to be fair, that's not the worst ADR I've heard this week. Again, I don't know if you heard about this. This is the only thing I, I kind of want to see this scene at some point uh, from Ben versus Carnage. Apparently, uh, they flash back to Cletus Cassidy as a younger man going into prison, and they have a different actor playing Woody Harrelson, but they have Woody Harrelson dub him over. Oh, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like but the, uh, so on top of the ADR, there's just like weird editing choices. Uh, one of the most obvious ones and like blatant ones is. Uh, when Ben quote unquote dies, uh, he like reaches up to go grab onto a so they're, they're climbing a lighthouse in order to try to escape through a hidden vent behind the moon on the wall painting of the ocean. Well, of course, there's a vent. Yeah, there's, there's always a vent. vent. Yeah, Ben's venting. It's us. But yeah, so like, so he's like climbing up the lighthouse to go get there, and then he goes to and then he goes to grab onto one of the rungs. He misses the rung entirely and falls. But the sound cue that plays is the sound of the handle breaking. Implying that implying that when Ben grabbed it, the hand they then like detach the handle from the thing so he'd fall. But he doesn't grab it. It and also like he doesn't grab it, he just misses it and falls, but the sound cue still plays and the rung is still on the ladder. It's just weird little nitpick shit like that that just really bugged me while watching the movie. But yeah, it kept me engaged. Like, yeah. Like, none of the performances I mean, really did, because it's, it's an escape room movie. Yeah, I mean, it's a... It, and that's the, I think this was true also for the last escape room, the movie when I saw. is like, there were no really bad actors in it. Yeah, no, like, like everyone, really everyone in the movie is fine. Yeah. But also, for our purposes, in most cases, fine actors are the death knell of interest. Because if you're going to have just fine actors and you need to have good writing to give them something to work with. But if you're going to have bad or lame or boring writing, then having some truly spectacularly bad actors can get you through the experience. Yeah. Which is why... um, M. Night Shyamalan movies can be hilariously entertaining, either just because he 
gets really bad performances out of good actors or finds the worst possible actors to be in his movies. Yeah. Do but, you watch a uh, super eye patch wolf? Yes. You see his video on Riverdale in the mediocre Valley. I did. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like that whole concept is kind of like yeah, where I, these I, movies lie. Yeah. I mean, we have our own version of that. You call it the, this is the worst kind of four out of 10 <laughs> or four or two out of five. Yeah. It's not good. But it's not bad enough to be entertaining. So yeah, it, it is. It is so. It is competent enough that I can't give it a lower score. But nothing pushes it above that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually a nice segue into something I can talk about. Huzzah! Yeah, but are you done? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I watched this because for some reason Caveman wanted me to talk about it, but. Uh, I wish I hadn't talked about it because, uh, um, so behind the scenes bit here, uh, normally, um, caveman is the one watching all the movies and TV with me and then reports on it to dead. But, uh, in this case, because he stepped away and asked me to step in, um, I'm, I'm the one who's in charge of that. So he apparently wanted to watch this with me, but because he couldn't get on, he asked me to watch it and talk about it with Dead, which <sighs> I really should have just watched this with someone like Caveman or former site editor, site contributor Jimmy, because goddamn, the Conjuring movies are intolerable without someone else present. And I know that's going to piss people off because I know James Wan's horror, uh, he is a beloved horror director, but goddamn, the Conjuring movies are a slog. <laughs> I have never gotten the chance to actually watch those. I have thought about it a lot, but I've been very much away from horror for a while because I'm a pussy. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the problem for me. I enjoyed watching The Conjuring in theaters way back before I met you, like eight or nine years ago. Um, and I don't know if it's just I have changed as a person or if my memories of why I enjoyed watching The, Conger the Conjuring, the first one. <laughs> the are Conjuring. Used. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's where you get a bunch of conger eels and, you know, make them for dinner, like an episode of Shokugeki no Soma. You have to cook off against like a demon nun. Yeah, you have to show. Yeah, you have to best make use of the eel in a way that would be used by a country that doesn't use eels in their delicacies. But uh, it's just—I don't know if it's just I have changed a lot as a person in the nine years since I saw this movie, the first one, or if it's just that my experience watching the first one was entirely defined by the person I saw it with. Because um, I think I've told you this story, but. Uh, when I saw The Conjuring in theaters, I went with former site contributor Jimmy. And uh, basically, I only remember... I actually think I don't remember that much of the actual movie itself. Because basically, every time something spooky or scary happens, Jimmy started slapping me. <laughs> and the reason, for the, the reason for that being, and I asked him to explain afterwards... Um, 
like most bad, like most horror movies with ghosts, uh, it often involves dumb white people doing dumb white people things to set up the horror scenario. So basically every time something spooky happened, Jimmy needed a white person to blame. So he would slap me a bunch of times just to ex- exp- expo- explain his rage at the dumb white people for being in this scenario. <laughs> so as such, as such, for me personally, watching the first Conjuring was goddamn entertaining because of that. But again, I don't know if that's because of that unique scenario or the movie itself. And now having seen The Conjuring 2... I'm fairly certain it's that scenario because I was so bored. I was borderline mad at this movie by the time it was done. Wow. Because for one, it's 20 minutes longer than the first conjuring, which it doesn't deserve to be because, and this is also, and this is unfortunately one of the, this isn't one of those horror movies where literally nothing happens. Like stuff happens all the time. It's just, it doesn't really up the stakes all that often up until the uh, climax, which is like the last 10 minutes. So it basically has like a hour and a half long second act. Ugh. Which is entirely so. Uh, uh, so what do you know about the Conjuring movies? Uh, I know they are based on hack frauds. Yes, I was going to bring that up. That um, And this is... I said this in the chat when I was watching the movie to you and Caveman that uh, uh, this one, it, it, it's a ongoing uh, subplot that the Warrens, who are who this movie is based on, and the movie makes the mistake of showing the actual Warrens on, ap- opposite the actor and actress who play them, and I'm like, ha 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 ha, that's funny. <laughs> uh, but uh, they're complaining about being seen as hack frauds for what they are involved, for what they supposedly do, which in the context of the movie is real, but in the context of, in particular, the two things that they're talking about in this movie were both fakes. Like, yeah. even paranormalists think the two cases that they talk about in this movie are fakes. Yeah, so for in those who don't know. This, uh, I was just going to say, this is the funny part to me. It literally, its intro is Amityville Horror. <laughs> like, the first five minutes is just the Amityville Horror and then after that, it switches to its main story, which is funny. That like one of the most famous, like that, like regardless of the fact that the move, that the real life story it's based on is a hoax, that's a very famous horror movie. Although again, if you've ever actually watched the, horror, the original Amityville Horror, it's boring as sin. <laughs> Did you ever watch the Ryan Reynolds remake? No, I've only seen bits and pieces, and I was like, oh, God, Ryan, I'm so glad they finally let you beat comedy. Although that, that movie was basically a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but after that, they switched to a case in a uh, London house in Th- Thatcher, England, which the only thing scary about um, that movie at that point was when I was triggered by um, abusive bullies in a high school environment. But that's just because, you know, life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I, for those who don't know who the Warrens are, okay, yeah, go ahead. Ed and Lorraine Warren are, by their definition, paranormal investigators, with Ed being a demonologist and Lorraine being psychic. Yeah, and in the context of the movies, they play that up to the extent where um, Ed Ed acts like he's a member of the fucking Helsing organization which is fucking stupid and 
uh, Lorraine has such psychic powers that she can. I, I must assume she has mind control powers because for no, the way she beats the demon at the end is. Um, I don't. I don't know where this came from in demonology. I think it's but like the concept of like the power of knowing the true name. Yeah, I think that that's that's happened. I've, I've seen that in enough things that it's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, but uh, it's from Earthsea. Fuck she, it. Oh right, yeah, that's true. I, I need uh, yeah the Wizard of Earthsea. I, I, those are good books. I have I have a bunch of them on my e-reader that I just haven't got around to yet. Yeah, I have one sitting on my. Uh, nightstand that I've been wanting to read for a long time because I both really respect Ursula K. Le Guin and I like the concept of the Earthsea books. Yeah, Ursula, Ursula K. Le Guin um, sounds like a fucking beast. Yeah. Um, but and this is part of the this adds to the lameness. Uh, the way Lorraine beats the demon at the end is she basically at some point in the middle asks, what's your name? The demon tells her its name without her realizing it and she just says its name and he's gone. <laughs> Oh God! But yeah, so like these two are—they—they they are fucking widely known researchers. They have they've apparently investigated over ten thousand cases over the course of their career, uh, yeah. and they are historically and famously the Amityville people. Yeah, the people who brought the Amityville horror to popular awareness is what brought them to fame in the 70s or the 60s. Yeah. Uh, uh, both of them have since passed. Yeah. Which is good because that means they can no longer get money from this. Yes. And so based on everything I've been hearing about these movies, all I can assume is that by the end of this fucking franchise, uh, Ed Ed Warren is going to be like... It's, 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 he's going to be fucking fighting demons like Sherlock Holmes in a fist fight. And Lorraine's oh, just going to be a Jedi. I mean, by the end of the second one, they're basically Christian superheroes, so, which is even incredibly lame because you can have, there are so much, again, you and I come from an anime background. There are so much more interesting versions of Christian superheroes in anime than yeah. in Western media. <laughs> yeah, fuck fuck it. even like fucking, father, fucking Father Anderson just comes out of nowhere and stabs him. Yeah, Father Anderson looks at Edge and like, Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> You're fucking pathetic. <laughs> I, I love how like you call that a cross. I'll kick your fucking ass. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen real Helsing, but I just it's very funny that like both in my head and what you said, I feel like came from Helsing Ultimate Abridged. Might as well laugh. Yeah. <laughs> About the level of jokes that people made with Anderson from Helsing Ultimate Abridged. I mean that is basically the joke of Anderson as a character. Again, it's it's I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> I he's peacemaker, but Christian. Yeah, but yeah, it's, uh, and it's just this is why, and this is why I said I was bored to tears by this movie. Like beyond the fact that it's too long, it's it's competently made, but and its actors are all fine, which is sad because uh, Vera Farmiga and. Um, uh, Patrick Wilson are both really good actors elsewhere, but they're just kind of wasted in these roles. But it's just so boringly written that because and it doesn't have any particularly bad actors except for the uh, evil British ghost who is a uh, you know a, a absurd Cockney stereotype. That's it's there's nothing fucking say. 
It's yeah. just it's a boring slog, and it's not one of those. And they also the fact that they at the, the thing that sets up the third act is the Warrens leave the haunted house because they think it's a fraud uh, for really stupid reasons. Like the de- like the the girl when she's asked why she showed the fraud scene, she's like, uh, "The demon said I had to fake it to get them out of the house." <laughs> Like and beyond that, like like that's one of those, and I think you're familiar with this concept as well. It's when you can see like the machinery of filmmaking, when you can see like the script changing gears, and you don't actually when it doesn't feel like the movie's doing this because it makes sense. It's just because this needs to happen. Yeah, and that's one of those examples because literally at every other time in the movie, when someone says there must be a logical explanation, the ghost just goes, "Nope." Enough, fuck you, dude. Yeah, like the mom's like, "Okay, kids, you're scaring us the house for no, you're scaring us for no reason. There's no one in the house." And then a uh, a, a nightstand flies at her head, <laughs> or um, the police come to investigate the house from all this, and they said maybe there's some, maybe there's like uh, rats in the walls or something. And then a a chair uh, moves from the kitchen to the living room, and then back to the kitchen with no one touching it. And they're like, "Nope." So they did that several times. Man, those are some movie. crafty rats. Yeah. I actually would have preferred if it were rats, because that then it would be just like borderline funny, but it's just Yeah, it just just turns like the horror version of the borrowers. Yeah. But yeah, just a, James Wan is a perfectly competent filmmaker. I mean, I like actually like Aquaman as dumb as it is a lot better than this, just because Aquaman is very bad and I feel like I need to watch it again. It is very bad. It is very dumb, but it's very fun dumb. Because again, Patrick Wilson there is going yeah. ocean ham master. In a way. I wish there was some ocean master energy in his performance in this because he's just so like boringly milk toast. Yeah, they're fucking. Need, they're fucking needed to be man. Like they're. He's basically Bible man. Yeah. But no, we have to take this seriously because, you know, this is a, a serious horror movie. So there can't be any. And that's I think that's the problem with most ghost movies is that you can't you can't have like. Weird out there characters as much in ghost movies. So that's why I kind of prefer monster movies or the occasional slasher, because then you have the actors allowed to go a little bit more ham, a little bit more crazy, a little bit more fun and over the top. Well, like you- Whereas ghost movies are all like. Except for like the really bad, sh- bad schlocky ones are all sort of like like this, which is why I have nothing to say about it. Well, like you can go for like harder characters. It's just they don't. And with this one, especially they won't because this is because they need permission from the estate to keep making these movies. Yeah, well, I'm hoping the estate doesn't need their permission anymore at this point. Like if they fucking like like if they just actually just straight up went like, all right, we're going full camp. That's fucking. Patrick, get get goddamn in here. We're putting you back in the night owl costume. Just went full hardcore. We are we are anime protagonists. I yeah, feel like getting, the I feel like the war in a state would be like, um, could you not? Yeah, the the war in a, this, again referencing James Wan. The war in a state would never want uh, their Warren movie to look like malignant. <laughs> God, I need to watch that. I understand the premise now, and I'm like, God, I wish I had watched that on HBO Max. Well, it's going to come back eventually, but it's off for now, so I'll have to wait a little bit before I can watch the whole yeah. thing again. So, of the James Wan horror franchises, where's The Conjuring sit for you? Uh, 
I, I mean, it's better than than Saw, just because I fucking hate Saw. Um, yeah, I think I like Sinister a little bit better than than uh, The Conjuring, even even though because uh, those movies are kind of dumber. Because uh, again, James Wan was not involved in Sinister. He wasn't. You're, you're thinking of Insidious. Oh, Insidious. I'm sorry. That's that. I confuse the, I confuse those two names all the time. I'm yeah, sorry. No. Whatever one. Sin- yeah. Whatever one has. Whatever one has. Ghost Darth Maul in it. Is, yeah, uh, Sinister is the one with where uh, Ethan, where Ethan Hawke has to fight Bagul, a member of the Insane Clown Posse. See why? Why can't why can't a, a movie with the war? Why can't a cadre movie have a Bagul in it? The closest they had is in the in the in the spinoffs and prequels, like in the the Nun. Which is just, which is basically a gothic, a bad gothic horror movie with a demon nun, or in Curse of La Llorona, where they have a dumb white lady running from a Mexican ghost that keeps trying to drown people in uh, in two inch pools of water. Yeah, I, w- when La Llorona came out, I saw just like I follow like a couple like Spanish creators on YouTube, and both and a lot of them were just like you fucking people. Well, yeah, because got they making you La Llorona bullshit. <laughs> Again, a uniquely Mexican creature in Los Angeles. No Mexican male care. No Mexican main characters. Yeah. The only one is the priest, and that's he's not in it until like the last half. So instead, we've got literally Velma from Scooby Doo as the main character until uh, the until the priest shows up. Yeah, I. I feel like this is I feel like this is doomed because I'm basing it off entirely off the design. I like the look of the crooked man. I do too, except for the fact that he's entirely CG. Yeah, that's not great, but it's still it is a design that at least imparts way more yeah, personality well, than anything else in the Yeah, it's a design, but it's also um it's it's like um it's essentially like one of the forms like it the thing from it would take. To like scare people, it's not the actual form. It's not like the Baba Duke. Boo. Which, uh, <laughs> okay, I like it less now. Oh, you didn't know that that was just like a a, a shape it took. No, and not it. Yeah, yeah. That that was also. I I hoped that was actually the villain as well, but no, it's actually just a form that the d- dumbly named demon nun takes at one point. Well, like, well, that's the thing. The crooked man is getting his own movie. Oh. Uh, okay. I was not aware of that. I, I guess that must be, I guess they must have just thought the same thing you did, that the Crooked Man was a cool design and maybe we'll tell an actual story about the Crooked Man. But, yeah, uh, so according to, yeah, yeah. in the context of The Conjuring 2, the Crooked Man is just a form the demon takes. That's yeah, apparently, uh, Peter, uh, Peter Safran, one of the producers of the Conjuring movies, uh, has been, has been talking about a Crooked Man movie since 2017. With the last update I'm seeing listed being in 2018, when it says the project is in the script progress, within the scripting progress uh, stage. Okay. Well, we'll see if that happens or not. I mean, uh, I mean, by the same token, dead. Um, we're apparently supposed to get a a Craven solo series from Sony. So sometimes um, there's <laughs> just more shit. <laughs> I I can't even begin to think of what. That would be like, hey, 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 everybody! Introducing Craven. We're introducing him with the Grim Hunt. Yeah. 
But yeah, so I'm glad. I guess I'm glad I talked with you about it because if I had, to, if if it were if it were for talking with you, I would literally have nothing to say about this movie because it's boring as sin. Because it's just like you said, real bottom of the mediocrity uh, chasm. <laughs> yeah, chasm is more appropriate than valley. <laughs> <laughs> just this endless crevasse of horseshit. Well, not even horseshit, because horseshit would at least have a flavor. It's just like essentially just bland paste. Yeah, <laughs> it's just an en- it's just an endless crevice full of bland paste. You're like, ugh. I guess I'll get out of here. I don't have strong feelings about for this. By the way, again, if you tell if you see my wife, tell her I say hello. <laughs> hello. Yeah. Anyway. Speaking of horror and dumb white people. Okay. Uh, Stargirl. <laughs> <laughs> right. I heard the shade is the villain uh, or one of the villains this season. Uh, the other one's Eclipso. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, does Eclipso make any more sense here than they do ev- everywhere else I've seen Eclipso? Um, Not really. So... We're on on episode nine. Eclipso started being a person in episode seven. Okay. Because until that point, he had been trapped in the Black Diamond. Okay. Well, that's that's common for um, stories about Eclipso. That's fine. Yeah. And so it was uh, Cindy, the the daughter of the Dragon King from the first season. Yeah. The the queen, queen bitch. Yeah. She was using the diamond to essentially torment some of the some characters and of and try to recruit the kids of other of other isa members to take out courtney okay she managed to get artemis and the fiddler's kid all right uh and that was her and that was her new isa uh she tried to get a iceberg she tried to get ice school junior but he was like yo you're a fucking bitch eat my ass because we don't fully know if he has ice powers yet. Yeah, I guess unlike um, uh, the magician's kid or uh, Brainwave's kid, we haven't seen uh, uh, Icicle's son do any mat- uh, superpowered shit yet. Yeah, uh, we have seen that his mom has power. We have seen that Icicle's mom did have powers. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, and so she, so she like gathered up that fucking group of people. They fought in the cafeteria. In a really solid fight, I think it was. It was actually really interesting. It was like a three pronged fight where it was. Uh, it was Our Man versus Artemis, uh, Star Girl versus Shiv, I believe is her hero name, and then Wildcat versus the Fiddler. And it was so it was, they were all fighting like the school cafeteria, but they were all having three separate fights that intercut with each other. And, it, and like a lot of it was just like really simple, like match cuts of like someone will do a pose, then it'll cut over to someone else, the couple of someone else in the different fight doing the same pose, then they start going. But it was all done really well, and they had some real, they had some fairly interesting shots in there. And the fights themselves felt really energetic and dynamic, and I liked the way they were were, were played out. Like Star Girl, if nothing else, I will try my best to praise the fight choreography because more often than not, it's at least interesting. And yeah, so they all get into a big fucking brouhaha, and um, it the fight kind of ends with Stargirl using the staff and breaking the Black Diamond. Okay. And so Eclipso is now out and in the world. He 
eats the fiddler's soul. Yeah, uh, I mean that fits with Eclipso. I mean, yeah, Eclipso is a terrifying supervillain. It's just the character has been very confusingly used by DC, and most times it's been used. Yeah, so he like eats the fiddler's soul. Uh, he sucks Shiv down into black diamond goop, and then Artemis just like, I'm a leaf. Okay, Audi. Yeah, just Artemis showing the only, uh, only sensible response of just like, uh, I uh, I have okay. baseballs. I'm a, I'm a go. Yeah, just like a guy with a boomerang fighting a a, a demon witch. Wait. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be crazy. But yeah, uh, so the shade, uh, yeah, so the shade has been like kind of around in all this. He has been a threatening presence, but his goals in this are to get the black diamond and get it away from everyone. Okay. So they're kind of playing I up. Mean, I, they're, 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 I like the shade. Yeah. Of that. Okay. Yeah, they, they're playing up the like. They're playing up the not evil side of him. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, in most versions of that I've seen of him, the shade is essentially he's. He's on the villain side more often than not, but he's essentially like an indep- independent operator. Yeah, with with some magical abilities. So he's he's not really all that commonly because he's too smart to be exploited. He will let himself be used on occasion, but usually he's not letting himself be exploited by supervillains. He'll just yeah work for money or for what he wants. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that seems to be the the character characterization they're going for with him here. Uh, and they're also tying his powers into Eclipso. Like, th- there's kind of been some talk hinting that his powers come from the dimension that Eclipso is from. Okay, I can see that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. And so Eclipso, his... We don't know what his motivation currently is. Based on what has been happening, what I can assume it is, is that he is trying to... Basically what he does is he finds people who have the potential to do bad things in their souls uses his mind powers to make them do bad things and then goes, Hey, you're a bad person. I'm a kill you now and eat your soul. To what end? I mean, basically almost anyone who gets involved with magic in the DC universe is kind of borderline, uh, uh, morally ambiguous at this point. Even Zatanna, who for a long time I thought was kind of like the most moral one. Uh, these days when she uses her power, she tends to be kind of more on the like neutral side of things. Remember when, she, they, remember when she gave Dr. Light a lobotomy? And then did yeah. almost the same thing to Batman? Uh-huh. I was trying not to remember that. <laughs> just, just Zatanna on the morally right side. It's like, oh wait. DC fucked that up too. Thanks, Identity Crisis. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, but I mean, who else have you got on the light side? Like, Dr. Fate? <laughs> King Douchebag of the Order Mages? Uh, I'm trying to think. Most of the ones that I'm thinking of are people who are aligned with the magic side, but aren't like magic fully themselves. Yeah, I can believe that. Like, maybe Shadow Pact, that organization? 
Possibly. Which was like Blue Devil and Detective Chimp. Detective Chimp, apparently, like, Detective Chimp is always with the magic people. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so with Stargirl, lately they have been going, they've been trying to go, like, harder and harder into the toll that being a superhero has taken on some of these characters. Specifically, uh, Yolanda and Rick, Wildcat and uh, Our Man. Because with Yolanda, she is currently going through incredible PTSD because she murdered a man and watched him die in front of her. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, and they have been playing up the idea that maybe what it is is not PTSD and its brainwave has, like, possessed her mind and is trying to take her over. Okay, um... And it's... And they're... they're close. They're, yeah, they're playing it up, and they're playing it up in a way that it is not sure whether or not Leolanda is actually being possessed by Brainwave, or she's just crazy. And this is all happening before the Eclipse of stuff started happening. And then meanwhile with Rick, Rick, his whole thing is... Uh, I'm trying trying to think, remember how to think how to word this. He he had his big blow up in the last couple episodes, where he is trying to be a superhero. He's like like he's like trying to do better. He's trying to be a better person, and the people he is interacting with assume he is still like he was before, which is just a big asshole. Like like when he was at a like when he was in school, he like he like had to do a te- he like did a test and he got like fucking perfect score on it. The teacher's like, how'd you cheat? You fucking piece of shit. I know you didn't do this well on this test, realistically. Which I think is some sense to like do like a re like a makeup test, which he then aces again. Teacher comes and apologizes that his uncle is like, what, you want to go to fucking school? You goddamn shitbag. It's like, what are these college papers? Fuck you. <laughs> because for those who don't remember, his uncle is an abusive asshole. Yeah. And yeah, he's just been like spending his time out in the woods, like feeding Grundy. Because he's been taking care of Grundy to make sure Grundy doesn't do anything horrid again. I mean, that's I mean, that's basically what everyone who doesn't react to oh god, Grundy is basically said. Yeah. Is that like well, Grundy Grundy is only a threat if he's engaged with. So as long as he's kept away from people and kept mostly satisfied he's harmless so yeah and so since the beginning of the season grundy has been out in the woods and occasionally rick would just come out there with like a fucking like four buckets of chicken or like 1200 burgers and just feed them to him and apparently grundy's been cool with that i mean that's that's grundy i mean there, there was a joke um i don't know if you ever watched uh justice league action this kind of briefly more briefly briefly lived more kind of child-centric Justice League show from right before uh, Titans became a thing. I saw a couple episodes of it. Yeah, one of them, uh, Batman was uh, kidnapped by the by the Joker, and Wonder Woman and Green Arrow needed the Riddler's help to find him. And at one point, Riddler goes into Blackgate to find a clue that the Joker hid in uh, Grundy's cell. 
And he basically said, oh, no, I dealt with Grundy easily. He was bored out of his mind, so I just gave him a challenge. I gave him a Chinese finger trap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one bit, one bit I remember from Grundy was like, he was like, Grundy, why are you working with, why are you working with these vassals? Like, they promised money. How much? A lot. Why do you need money? Uh, money good. Just grunt. I can't blame him for that. That's just American culture. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and so now that Eclipso is out of the diamond and is now fucking around doing shit, he is going way harder on people in terms of their like mind, in terms of his like mind shit. Yeah, I mean that's whole Eclipso whole thing is mentally or in some cases physically twisting people's uh, psyches into to fit his his or her needs. Yeah. The weird thing though is he is primarily doing it through the body of an eight-year-old boy. Mm, uh, that's that's not that weird to me. Uh, Ch- Children of the Corn was a thing. So, not Children of the Corn. Uh, it, is it Children of the Corn? No, uh, Demon Seed, whichever one is the, the, the evil children that with the mind powers. Uh, Village of the Damned. Village of the Damned, Yes. Yeah, I just don't understand it because they have a like they have an actor in full Eclipso getup. Like he's like he's in full makeup and everything, but they yeah. there's every once in a while just he's like he's a fucking ten year old. Yeah, but that might be just because it's he's too expensive or he's unavailable. Because like, didn't Gotham have that problem all the time? They had one of their sometimes their main their main actors or their ongoing actors were not available, so they kept changing out the actor who played the role, particularly with, uh, was it Poison Ivy? Yeah. So they just kept aging up or changing actresses on constantly because they couldn't keep them in. Poison Ivy, the canonical 10-year-old. Yeah. But, like, the DC TV shows t- seem to have a problem with misusing their... Um, their their available traits, their available actors, or they uh, just they they don't want to spend the budget on costumes or effects that often. That's why I, apparently, even though he is central to the story of the show, um, we will never see Batman in costume in season three of Titans. Titans just don't want. We don't want to see Batman. We just want to see old Bruce Wayne. Apparently, <laughs> uh, but like with this. Uh... Well, and to be fair, with with the show, there is a bit of that. Um, we got uh, very, very early on in the season, uh, the stripe armor got destroyed. Ah, yeah. So that was probably I can believe that that CG was probably getting uh, too expensive for them to do on a regular basis, particularly on a CW show. Yeah, and Grundy did not show up in person until episode seven. Yep. Uh, but like the act, and that that kind of fits. I think actually, you and I pointed out that this might happen. Yeah, because originally the first season of Star Girl was a uh, uh, CW, uh, not CWC, uh, DC Universe, DC, DC Universe show, and uh, I'm somehow amazing. Well, it's funny that we said this. Like DC Universe probably gave the show more of a budget than the CW would, but at the same time, we've noted that. Titans was a, C- was a DC Universe show that keeps getting worse seasons, but it still somehow keeps looking worse than shows on the CW. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just for reference, uh, the actor playing um, playing Eclipso is Nick Tar- Nick Terraby. Okay. Uh, he's a Lebanese-American actor. Uh, he's in Spartacus, the show. 
And he's also getting a couple. He's also in a bit of the expanse. Uh, I, I've seen him around a bunch, and he has been a he's been a solid actor, and I think he's doing a pretty good job with the clips. So, all right, that's fine. But it's it's still it's just really weird to me just showing up and having like in the most recent episode. Um, it was a it was a very like mind fuck episode where it was specifically Eclipso is now going whole hog into fucking these people over. Uh, like there were essentially four separate characters who all were in various, who were all were trapped in different Eclipso illusions. Okay. You had Stargirl's mom who was, whose car broke down and then Icicle showed up in the back seat and started tormenting her. Uh, you had uh, Mike, uh, Stargirl's brother, who was at home, and then Icicle Jr. shows up and kills his dog and starts tormenting him. Um, Rick, he's out in the woods. Uh, he hears he hears on the radio that, like, bear attacks because, like, they, they, they've they been kind of, like, lampshading. Well, not lampshading. They've been, like, talking about Grundy doing stuff under the guise of bear attacks. Where, like, he'd break into, like, the, he'd break into, like, the fucking KFC or whatever. Okay. Whenever Rick didn't give him food, and then, that's a believable excuse. Yeah, and then and then they get a thing, and then they hear it's like, yeah, so fucking a bear came out and attacked some people. Uh, we got a hunting party getting set up, so Rick goes out in the woods trying to fucking find him, and then he sees a dead child in the river. I was like, oh, I need to take out Grundy now. Fuck. Goes and starts beating the shit out of Grundy. Turns out he's beating the shit out of his uncle. Which actually was actually leads to him breaking the hourglass. They gave him his powers. Okay. So that'll be a thing. And then the other one was Beth, the new Dr. Midnight, who goes to Courtney's place and then gets racist at, racisted at by a, by a small white child. And like, this is, if you are, if you're going to have your characters stumble into what is very obviously a mind fuck trap thing. With a because when they are fighting a villain who they know does mind fuck trap things, maybe don't have the super intelligent black character be the one to follow the scary white cut white child up into the attic. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, just just a thought. But yeah, so like that's they like. Uh, it turns out, like with with best goggles, because she's Doctor Midnight, she has the Doctor Midnight goggles. Uh, she can see through the illusions. And Courtney and Courtney's staff, the cosmic staff, does seem to be able to hurt Eclipso. It's just when Eclipso was freed, that staff got damaged pretty harsh, so it can't really function properly anymore. And yeah, like it is, this show is interesting, and they are doing some cool shit with it, and I like it. It's just. So much of it is just hampered by the fact that it is a CW television show with CW quality acting and CW quality writing. Yeah. And it's like, it's like in such stark contrast with like Superman and Lois, which I was also watching while this was going on, like at the tail end. Yeah, I mean, it's just CW level acting doesn't, or WB acting, as I'm going to talk about a show with later, does not have to be a bad thing. It can still be quality if used correctly and well written. In some cases, it's not, though. And a lot of, unfortunately, as we have both noted before, a lot of the DC CW shows fall into the bad, the traps of bad CW 
show acting and writing. Yeah, like for a for Star Girl, the story is good. I'm liking the story beats. I'm liking the story points. I'm liking some of the character beats. It's just the actual written dialogue that's the problem. Yeah, that can often be difficult to get over. Yeah, but we we go into something like Superman Lois, where that apparently. The CW was only airing that show. It was like written and funded by HBO Max. Okay. So it had like better quality writing behind it. But it was still like, I'm trying to remember. I don't think, um, what's his name? Uh, Berlanti. Berlanti is involved. I don't know. I can't remember. Let me, I'll I'll check now, but I, I think he is. Because it's still because it's still all connected to his fucking universe. Yeah, I just I can never tell how I feel about Berlanti writing because sometimes he is involved in shows I do like, but Okay, yeah, he is involved in Superman and Lois. Okay. Yeah. So I guess he's just really hit and miss. Uh, yeah, was... like even within the shows. Like I think I talked about this with Cave. I don't know if I talked about it with you. Or no, I might have talked about it with you. I might actually I might have been talking about it with you and Nico. Uh just the way that he makes Okay, no, yeah, I talked about I talked about with Cave, the way that he makes Superman look in Superman and Lois, he makes him look like he makes him look like Superman from Luthor, the Brian Azzarello book. Okay, where does where does he will have him just he will have like Tyler Hecklin, the actor who plays Superman, uh, go like full Teen Wolf mode where he just like gets like full furrowed brow, like chin down, eyes up, and then just replaces eyes with just, like glowing fucking red infernos from his heat vision. Yeah, I, I wish that had not become a thing post New Fifty Two. That everyone was like, "How do we make Superman look intimidating? We'll have him light up his his eyes with heat vision." Just little. Or uh, hey, you don't make Superman look intimidating because that's not his vibe. Or you make him look intimidating without having to do that. Like you know, say having him float in front of a like again. I'll talk about it later. Like say having him. Uh, backhand a forklift out of a supervillain's hand as he's trying to throw it at civilians. Yeah, like the Superman. Superman can be intimidating, but he's not intimidating because he go because he goes grr scary. He's in Superman. He's intimidating just by being. Yeah, and it's like it's a constant problem with Berlanti shows, where he just doesn't seem to get that superhero like. He very much likes having superheroes kill people. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, Superman hasn't done that yet. I hope not, because if not, at that point, we might as well just have Zack Snyder. Uh, oh, God, that'd be the worst of possible. Uh, Greg Berlanti TV show directed by Zack Snyder. <laughs> but, like, in Stargirl, Mike, her, like, 14-year-old brother, straight up murders Icicle. Yeah, I know. And I remember. And that is not mentioned in the and the, the psychological effects of that aren't mentioned oh. until like six episodes yeah, into season two. That's always the problem with um, uh, these shows that have killing is that they often will there'll be no conse- there'll be no moral or emotional consequences to the death. Like, uh, I'm I'm fairly certain that there will be absolutely no consequence. Like, I, I <laughs> I'm pretty sure there will be no consequences to the fact that. Uh, the Titans steps, quote unquote, killed Deathstroke by stabbing him to death. <laughs> <laughs> Does that happen in season two or is it season three? 
That was the end of season two. Okay. I, I, don't, season three I don't remember season two at all. I remember the last thing I remember about Deathstroke in season two is that uh, Nightwing could teleport. No, the only thing I remember about uh, season two of uh, Titans is the choice. where Bruce was a force ghost. Right. Yeah. The second best episode of the season. <laughs> the exact opposite side of the curve of quality. Man, remember the Superboy episode? How good that was? Yeah, it gave you hope. That was a mistake. They should yep. have given you hope. <laughs> yeah. And to anybody wondering, we are going to be doing Titan Season 3. We're just waiting for all of it to finish and get okay. on Canadian Netflix. Yeah. We have also been avoiding everything relating to it. Yeah, even I've just kind of disconnected from it at this point. I'm like, fine, I'm going to have to put up with it at some point. We are going in as raw as we can. But yeah, Stargirl, uh, it is it is a good show, I think. It is not a, it's not a great show, but it is a solid show that I think does the best it can with what it's given by the CW. Yeah. I'm curious what, uh, um, I can't remember if it's a movie or TV show, I'm curious what uh, it'll be like when um, Pierce Brosnan plays Dr. Fate. I did not know that was happening. Yeah, uh, DC fandom has been going on this week, and I occasionally pop in to see if there's anything interesting. Whenever they talk about the new Batman movie with uh, Robert Pattinson, I tune out. But sometimes they're like, "Wait, what? Here's Brosnan as Doctor Fate? What?" <laughs> okay, yeah, that's in the Black Adam movie. Oh, okay, yeah. All right, that fits. Yeah, Pierce Brosnan is a good pick for Doctor Fate. Yep. I'm fully behind that. That sounds great, actually. Oh, I just... Ugh, ugh. I just looked up the cast. Noah Centineo was going to be playing Adam Smasher. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me personally. but uh, Noah Centineo is an actor who is known for being in Netflix romantic comedies. Like, To All the Boys I've Loved Before and Sierra Virgins is a Loser. And he was also in two separate movies about a phone-based dating app simultaneously. Okay, then. He's just he's just kind of been, like, the teen choice actor for the last couple of years. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Ugh. I mean, I'm, still not, I'm not, still not entirely sold. I know that it... It makes sense, particularly given if you've seen the the, the first of the two uh, recent Sony uh, Jumanji movies to have The Rock play Shazam, but... Uh, He's not playing Shazam. He is playing Black Adam. I'm sorry, Black Adam, yeah. It's... Okay, so it might, that might work. Or, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if The if the Rock can do completely, like, stone-faced serious. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I don't... With someone like Black Adam... It's very hard to find someone to play him right because you need someone who has that physique, but that also can like act. Yeah, and the Rock. And the Rock is probably the closest you could get. But yeah, I, it, I like the Rock is a fine actor. I don't know if he is good enough to be able to play a character like Black Adam. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. that's kind of the big question. But it, everyone's it, like, "Oh, this is the perfect choice because he look." Yes, I guess he physically looks like Black Adam does, but this this is going to be a tough. But the kind of roles I usually associate the Rock with. That's going to be tough for him to pull, I think. Yeah. 
it is also going to be uh, very. It's also going to be very funny because they have a character in this movie whose comic name is Isis. Yeah, and I yeah, and that is an important character for Black, Black Adam. Adam, and I like her as a character. That's going to be awkward. Yeah, uh, she's also being played by Sarah Shahi, aka Shaw from Person of Interest. Yeah, no, I like her as an actor. Yeah, so that's a perfectly good choice for that. And honestly, I think she could pull that off. It's just the name. It's going to be so many goddamn think pieces when that movie comes out. It's like oh, one of the characters is named Isis. <laughs> Again, I I started off this podcast saying social media was a mistake. Yeah. So. Also, that same character is also still in Legends of Tomorrow. Okay, that's fine. And that character has nothing to do with Black Adam at all. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway. You're next, I guess. All right. Well, I guess I'll just to keep uh, with, uh, we seem to be transitioning better than I thought we would, but I'll just do a quick, a couple of quick DC things. Uh, just since we just, we just finished talking about Stargirl. Uh, so I guess just, this is weird that I went to something this dumb and schlocky after The Conjuring 2, but I just needed something to wash the taste out of my mouth. Um, so do you know the t- the the animated mid-2000s TV show, The Batman? Yes, I am familiar with The Batman, where Bruce Wayne sounds like a 17-year-old. Yeah, well, Rina Romano played him, and he's basically often played much younger characters, so it often doesn't fit. But it's, yeah. it, it's also, it also um, the show also, in that case, offended Batman fans, because occasionally Batman could smile and enjoy himself. The horror. Yeah. The horror. Yeah, so I'm just going to... Don't they know Batman is an engine of vengeance? Yeah. I'm just going to sum up my thoughts on the show, because if I talk about it too much, I could go on forever. It's just... It's it's a... Like, it's not as good as Batman the Animated Series. Shocker. Yeah. But basically... Every, oh, my God. Every, almost every DC animated show in existence chases Batman the Animated Series. Nothing measures up wait a minute are you telling me that an animated show about batman isn't as good as the best animated show about batman ever made yeah i know shocking but it's actually okay so uh, i'll i'll explain my thoughts on it essentially just by going down a list of how it handles specific villains uh so the the big two wrong choices they made particularly if you talk to cora uh mr freeze is the worst because uh, they just made him a crook who fell into a cryo tube and came out with ice powers. So the original so, origin instead of the t- instead of the TV series. Yeah, to the point where he's not tragic at all. He's just a supervillain. Boo. So, yeah, boring. When Gotham uh, does it better, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And again, I think that was one of those. Well, we don't want to do the Heart of Ice version of uh, of. Uh, of Mr. Freeze, because that'd be too sad. Which is weird that they did that, because in that same season, uh, one of the big pluses is the version of Clayface they did, where um, the one cop, because this is a, the the first season's kind of the period where Gotham is, the Gotham police are trying to get rid of Batman as much as uh, let him stop the criminals. Uh, so the main cop who kind of thinks Batman's helping uh, gets kidnapped by the Joker and tortured by him, and Mint, uh, and is accidentally exposed to a chemical the Joker's been using to melt metal. Uh, 
that doesn't go well. Uh, on top of that, his uh, dickhead boss at the police is, uh, fires him for failing to capture Batman or the Joker because he was tortured and kidnapped. So, <laughs> okay, at yeah. At that point, this police officer is just like, fuck it. And once he and over the course of the second episode where he starts turning into Clayface proper, um, as he starts to understand his powers, like, you know what, fuck it. I've tried playing by the rules to the extent and it's just the system just keeps fucking me over. So fuck it. I'm just going to be I'm going to fuck with this, the, the police officers. I'm going to find the Joker and kill him, even though I'm not supposed to just murder people in cold blood. And. Like he's he's not he's he only starts turning on Batman when Batman keeps trying to stop him from murdering innocent people. That's the audacity. Actually, yeah. Which again, for a clayface, that's good writing. That is that's really good. That writing. that is really interesting. Yeah, that is better writing than Clayface usually gets, Ex- except for the Harley Quinn series where he's a complete ham and that's funny. Yeah, it it fits. He's an actor. Yeah. Um. Okay, the other really bad one is mainly just a design choice because in terms of how the character is written, he's fine. It's just the design is awful, which is Bane. Because I don't know if you've seen the design for Bane. Don't they make him big and red? Yeah. Like, he has a suit design where when he grows, it splits apart to reveal his red skin from the venom. It just makes him look dumb and monstrous. It's just ugly. Yeah, from what I remember, like, isn't he just, like, mostly just, like, an entirely black bodysuit and then he hits the venom button and he turns big and red? Yes. Looks looks like fucking forearms from Ben Ten. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I watched this show when I was younger. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm just making sure. I just wanted to get through it to. So I'm only going to do a couple more because if I went down the entire list, it would take too long. Um, Firefly, kind of an improvement because instead of just being a psycho psychopathic pyromaniac, uh, he's a he's a douchebag um, uh, arsonist for hire with a high-tech suit, so kind of more like a Spider-Man villain than a Batman villain. Yeah. But that's actually more interesting in my mind, just because I didn't ever think the the original version of uh, Firefly was all that interesting. So Yeah, I remember him in, a, like, I remember him in Arkham Knight, and he was, like, just quoting scripture almost. Yeah, but again, there's too many of the... There's honestly too many of those types of villains. In yeah, Batman. there's too many of those types, and there's not enough just, hey, man, I'm here to get paid. Yeah. The super like criminals. Yeah, like his whole thing is, oh, uh, a company wants to take out all their competition, so I get paid to arson the shit out of their shit. Okay. Yeah, that's fine motivation. Yeah. Funnily enough, when writing when, when writing character motivation, you don't need that much. Yeah. Uh, Catwoman's fine. Um, Ragdoll is annoying, but I think that works because Ragdoll is usually annoying. <laughs> like... I, like I don't know if you you've read comics with Ragdoll in them, but Ragdoll tends to be annoying in most cases. I've read. I think I've read a couple like Secret Six issues with him in it. Yeah, that's where I, I that's where I'm most familiar with him showing up. Yeah. Uh, the only other one, and this is kind of a, uh, I don't know how to feel about this. Is the design for the is the Penguin? Because, um, on the one hand. Uh, the crass buffoon wearing the the finery of the upper class elite that is the penguin and then the voice works even though it's a particularly annoying voice because i don't know if you knew who voiced uh the penguin and the batman uh it's essentially what would happen if spongebob gargled marbles oh yeah it's, oh, yeah, it's, it is tom kenny fuck i 
I just yeah. I've been I've been playing voice lines in my head from the penguin trying to remember who he was. Yeah. So that 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 didn't mean anything to me when I watched the show as a kid, but now I now it makes sense. It's like if yeah, like I Marvel, I, I remember liking the penguin. I like him as a character. I just hate the fact that he has martial arts powers. That's the thing. Yeah. The, it's it's like, like it's like the penguin like if it worked like, for that if he just had all the crazy weapons that he has like the the umbrella with the chi- with the laser with the chain with the chain blade that'd yeah. be one thing but he's getting into martial arts fights with Batman I'm like I'm sorry no <laughs> yeah it's the same kind of thing with like Harley Quinn where I'm just like I Batman has enough martial arts bad guys he doesn't need more of them yeah. So that's why I'm kind of torn on that one. Like characterization wise and design wise and even voice wise, that's a weird voice for Tom Kenny. Uh, it works. It's just that that tendency that everything had to have some way of kicking Batman's ass is kind of dumb. Yeah. What do you think of this version of the Joker? Um, I like the design actually. I mean, and uh, I, I I have never hated a Kevin Michael Richardson performance. Yeah. So. I, I don't I can't think of one I've hated. And yeah, he's he's also kind of martial artsy, but it's more kind of like acrobatics, which kind of fits with like the circus clown thing. So yeah. I don't mind that as much there. But he also has things like um rubber chickens that are bombs, which I'm like, okay, that's fun. Or <laughs> like or like he's he steals um uh rare animals for a, a poacher so he can get his hands on his uh iconic uh hyenas it's like okay yeah that's a joker thing yeah this is also the least toxic joker in a relationship with harley quinn yeah because he's just kind of, he's just kind of amused by the kind of person she is which again this is also a very different uh harleen quinzel so because instead of uh being a respected psychologist who was manipulated by the Joker. She's a she's a, essentially a TV uh, psychologist who's disgraced and joins the Joker. She's Doctor Oz. Yeah, it's a, it's a very different dynamic. <laughs> yeah, and it's a dynamic that I think works. I, I remember I remember really enjoying those two, and like thinking back, that has been like one of the only instances of a Harley Joker relationship that wasn't incredibly abusive. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, that, uh, that is what, that is the relationship that people think the relationship in yeah, the Suicide like, Squad is. Yeah, that's what people want the relationship between the Joker and uh, Harley Quinn to be, but it is not, like, they treat it like the Batman, but it's actually like Mad Love. Yeah. So, it, it, so that's why, that's why the Suicide Squad, the, the original Suicide Squad movie was so confusing that they tried to mesh those two things together and it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right, so his last two points, I guess. Um, there's clearly there's a, a point after I don't know how much of it you watched, but there's clearly a point after a couple seasons where they're like, okay, we kind of need to shift gears a little bit because the first t- the two seasons they're kind of more maudlin and uh, serious. They try to lighten things up a little bit because they introduce Batgirl and uh, they have more shit like the Joker stealing Bane's venom so he can be buff joker yeah which so, is, which so we could so we can do the ending of arkham asylum yeah and much more entertaining than that one because he's he does things like what's the joke that i liked that's like uh batman's like uh joker stole the box office and and 
Alfred's like, oh, that's hard. That's like chump change for a superpower joke. He's like, no, he stole the entire box office. <laughs> and I need to go back and watch the show again. Yeah, again, the, the the parts of it that don't work really don't work. But a lot more of it works than it doesn't. And actually, this is the last thing. Um, most season fives of animated shows suck. I'm going to talk about one that really sucks later. But... Uh, um, season five of the Batman starts with my second favorite example of the Batman and Superman relationship forming. Oh yeah, I think I, I I have recently watched clips of that on YouTube. I think. Yeah, because it, the first episode is like Superman comes to Gotham. Uh, there's a fight with Metallo where Batman gets his hands on Kryptonite, and Superman's like, "Okay, I know you're Bruce Wayne. Give me the Kryptonite, or I'll tell everyone." So, and actually, I think that. I like the way Batman figures out who Superman is better in this than in the animated series. Yeah, because in the animated series, he puts a tracker on him and then he just finds him. Yeah, Yeah, whereas in this, he's like, hey, I have technology that lets me track supersonic objects and almost all supersonic disturbances in Metropolis are Superman. Let me see where he goes the most often. Yeah. (laughs) It's, hey, shockingly, it's detective work. Yeah, that's another thing. That's, that's actual detective work of from this Batman, which is not always the case. <sighs> and there's a decent version of a Batman and Superman fight where he's got the bat armor on, but it's only because he's trying to survive fighting Superman long enough to get him to a point where he can remove the mind control. Yeah. Like, that's all the bat armor can do is keep him alive long enough to survive a fight with Superman. <laughs> yeah. Just, all right, Batman, how do you win? All right, I need to survive being punched once. If I can do that, I'm good. Yeah. So, and of course, speaking of fights with super-empowered beings, that leads me to the main reason I wanted to talk about the Batman again, which is the the schlocky, uh, cheesy thing I wanted to talk about. The Batman versus Dracula. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Tis the season. Yeah. (laughs) It is... It is as assholes the internet like to say spooktober. Uh, yeah, whatever. Um, okay, so I'm just going to tell you the main thing that is it makes this fun. <laughs> Guess who plays Dracula? Uh, I don't know. Bell will go say fuck it. Peter Stormare. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. Ah, Peter yeah. Stormare. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the story's kind of thin, so I can actually cover it pretty quickly. Uh, uh, the the penguin breaks out of prison looking for a hidden a hidden treasure uh, hidden by another criminal in a cemetery, and he accidentally wanders into Dracula's crypt, which was moved there by uh, Abraham Van Helsing and the people who killed Dracula originally but couldn't destroy him completely, uh, <laughs> and accidentally cuts himself and revives Dracula, who then proceeds to uh, spread vampirism across Gotham, and Batman must fight Dracula to stop him. Also, uh, Vicky Vale is in this, who is uh, the the serves as the Mina uh, Harker role in this, who Batman has to save. And at one point, um, and this is probably the funniest part of it, uh, the Dracula turns the Joker into a vampire. <laughs> which involves a fight between Batman and the Joker in a blood lab, which is actually kind of amazing. Yeah, that sounds fucking sick. And this is the other thing, and this is, okay, so 
this is something that I wish The Conjuring had thought of, where if you're going to have a long, slow middle, have something developing in it. Because Batman's whole thing in it is, okay, I could just kill all the people that have been turned into vampires with garlic or sunlight. I'd rather not do that. I would rather just cure them. Because that's Batman's whole thing. Yeah. He'd rather not, and so he captures the Joker as a test subject and starts constructing a serum to uh, kill vampirism, a la like the first Blade movie. And uh, he eventually comes up with one, and it, but it takes him like twenty minutes, and like they show like five or six rounds of experimentation where it fails. So they they know the rule of you have to give it time to make it feel like you earned it. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, I'm Batman. I immediately have a cure. So that actually, he had to work for something he wanted. Which yes, is, he didn't just like sniff the sniff the Joker once and go, got it. Yeah. But well, of course, while this is happening, uh, Dracula's getting more vampire henchmen. Uh, he also has turned, uh, I forgot to mention this at the start, He after he escapes from his tomb, he turns the penguin into his, uh, what's the term for the human servant? The, uh, I think... There's a specific word for it. I can't. Well, I, I think I think the I think the term is thrall. Well, thrall is the, the state, but there's like a there's a specific name for um uh what is it? I'm yeah, I'm, I'm look I'm trying to look it up too. Yeah. Who the fuck is? I don't. It's it's, it's a character name. Yeah. Uh, you keep talking. I'll look it up. Okay. So. Um, he turns the penguin into his uh, human servant, just by he's like, well, it's like, and 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 penguin's like, well, you know, the the penguin doesn't come cheap, and then he immediately gets mind controlled. Oh, okay then. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, if you say so. Renfield. Renfield. Yes, that's the term I was thinking for. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, he turns the penguin into his Renfield, um, which of course, uh, and the, so the other reason for getting the Mina Harker role is, and this is the so. I was talking with Caveman about this as I was watching it. It kind of plays fast and loose with what version of vampire shit they're going with. Because they have the shit like with like the shadow powers, the hypnotic suggestion, uh, the regeneration from blood, the fact he can fly on his own and shapeshift, all that. Uh, and I, tried to think, I was working out with Caveman. Can he, can he break the invitation rule? And I was like, oh, is it because he hit, it, the, the house is open for a party? So I guess you don't have to have the invitation rule in that case, and Caveman confirmed that for me as I was watching it. Uh, uh, weak to garlic, weak to sunlight. Silver doesn't come up, so I don't know about that one specifically. But uh, okay. And I'm assuming Christianity doesn't come up? No, it does. Uh, oh, okay. It, uh, yeah. Um, he, the reason he couldn't escape before is uh, he's buried under several crosses. But uh, in... The reason uh, Penguin found his tomb is he accidentally broke in through another tomb, so he opened a way into the catacomb, so back, so he doesn't have to go out into the area with the crosses. Well, already then. Yeah. So he does develop his cure. He manages to Batman manages. He he's forced to. He wants to originally to like, hey, let's not fight the Lord of all vampires at night. Why don't I wait until dawn? And, <laughs> but he, but he's forced to when. Uh, um, Vicky Vale is taken. So he sneaks in, cures all of uh, the vampire thralls. Um, but he, uh, the cure doesn't work on Dracula. Naturally. He, he, yeah. Uh, which if it did, if, if the cure did work, that would make Dracula the fucking most bitch-ass Dracula ever. 
Yeah. It was like shoot up with the cure. It's like, oh shit. Hi, I'm Vlad. Yeah. So aside from all the so the only other thing I didn't mention because it's kind of ultimately unimportant is the main use Dracula has for Vicky Vale is he's trying to use her soul to revive. And this is the part that's weird to me from a vampire lore perspective. His wife, Carmilla. It's like, mm. uh, that's weird. You d- that, like most versions of the Stoker Dracula I'm familiar with would have nothing to do with Carmilla. And she, and also I've watched a lot of Castlevania recently. Carmilla kind of hated Dracula. So that's a little <laughs> weird. Yeah. Like Dracula having a wife is one thing. It's, it being Carmilla is the weird part. It's yeah. Like that Carmilla is the, the, but it's ultimately not that important. So I didn't spend too much time on it. And, but so because the cure doesn't work, um, and this is what I kind of love is that, you know, how I said with the Superman episode, the way Superman, Batman survives the fight with Superman is he just stays alive long enough to find a way to stop him. Yeah. Yeah, and basically it's the same thing as where, like, Dracula just keeps kicking Batman's ass all the way around these catacombs until Batman figures out a route to his Batcave through the catacombs where he had been building a solar bomb. <laughs> and he does eventually manage it, and he gets there, and, he, and of course, Dracula being an arrogant bitch lets uh, the heavily hobbled and broken up Batman hobble his way up the stairs to uh, where his weapon is, and, and then he just floats up the stairs like, hey, you can't, I can't do Peter Stormare's voice. It's, it's yeah, too- No one fucking can. It's Peter Stormare. <laughs> it's like, you can't stop me, uh, Batman. I am the Lord of... Then he sees the solar bomb. Darkness? And Batman's <laughs> like... And he blows him up with the solar bomb. <laughs> uh, actually, so, so A, they go full Blade 2 with that one. Yeah, yeah. And B, is how involved in this is Alfred? A fair bit. Like, like he, like for most of the middle, he's uh, essentially just trying to explain why Bruce has been so heavily focused on Batman shit, trying to cure all the vampires. So he's basically trying to make excuses for where Bruce Wayne is and all of this, as the city seems to be dealing with an epidemic of people either going missing or biting people. But. uh uh, it, when he gets into the end, once Batman gets to the Batcave, he try he gets out a full on like Van Helsing crossbow and tries to fight Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course he does. Uh, I love Alfred. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah. So yeah, um, surprisingly fun. Like for like a a seventy eighty minute animated movie, kind of fun. <laughs> well, already then. Yeah, and and also uh, this is a this is usually like pe- the penguin should not really be in Arkham in most cases, right? Because he's not crazy; he's just villainous. But yeah, he he should be sent to like Bell Rev or something because he's yeah, or Blackgate or yeah, or Blackgate. Like because like, he is just he's just a mob boss. Yeah, he's just a, a weird looking mob boss. But this is the one time at the end of this movie where. Um, it makes sense why he's thrown into Arkham instead of Blackgate or some other prison because he's screaming as he's arrested. Vampires took over the city. Dracula yeah. is alive under this tomb. He sold me Nazi gold. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the treasure which he finds by accident while he's mind controlled chasing Vicky Vale. Is yeah, that is 
That's the only instance when it is, when it is okay for the penguin to go to Arkham. <laughs> Completing the Renfield cycle. Yeah. So yeah. Um, the entire time I was trying to think of his name, I was just thinking his name was Ratcliffe. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're curious, actually it's kind of a recommendation. It's like it's better than I thought it would be. Alrighty. Considering it's Batman versus Dracula. But... <laughs> Uh, remember, you remember that Moon Knight meme? It's like, Drac- oh, where's my money, bitch? <laughs> yeah. Dracula, you nerd ass bitch, where's my money? Yeah, and there was so there's actually more to that that I didn't know. Where it starts out with Moon Knight calling the Avengers, saying, "All right, you fucking nerds, where's my money?" And I was like, for the last time, you schizophrenic asshole. Dracula is not part of the Avengers. Wait, he lied to me? <sighs> I have no idea where that came from, and I love it. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So, my next thing. Uh, I watched Free Guy. Oh, I've been meaning to see that. That's something I wanted to see in theaters, but missed again because COVID. Yeah. Hey, oh, wait, am, I allowed to say COVID? am I allowed to say COVID on your podcast, or do I have to use some like metaphor? For I don't COVID? give a fuck. Okay. <laughs> like we're we're not worried about being demonetized here. Alright. Yeah, you missed because of SARS CoV two. <laughs> yeah, so free guy, it is pretty good. It is interesting seeing a movie that plays Ryan Reynolds like some like intense affability completely sincerely. Because a lot of Ryan Reynolds things where he's like playing like the charisma, like the charisma's on full fucking tilt. He's doing it sarcastically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of got that impression from the, from the trailers. Yeah, but in this it is like when he says, when he says someone have a great day, it's not like Ace Ventura. He is, he fully means it. Oh yeah, no, he's he, like, he's, he's the exact opposite of most Jim Carrey characters in that he's absurdly positive. It just seems like a joke given the world his characters. <laughs> yeah. And it is, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I will say that this movie does feel like it was made by someone who played a video game before. They don't fully understand like the development side of things, but they know video games. Which in a world of, in a world of movies made by people who have never even heard of a video game before, who call every game console a Nintendo, that's refreshing. Again, I'm seeing trailers for the new Resident Evil thing, so... Yeah, I was good as fucking talking about it. I did not know they were doing that. You didn't? No, it fuck, no. The, I was going through news today. I just saw that trailer. I was like, wait, what the fuck? No, I knew that was a thing, and I was like, oh, God. Maybe it's just because I'm, like, you and I are not on the movies podcast together that often anymore. I would have, If it was, I would have told you months ago. But. Yeah, I... I want to see what turns out. All right. I don't think it'll be good. No. I want to make that very clear. I'm not going, yes, finally, the Resident Evil movies are going to go back to their basics and getting back to good. I don't, yeah. all Resident Evil movies are bad. Yeah, it's just some are more funny bad than others. Yes, and I'm hoping this one is funny bad because I do not know when it happened, but I developed a very strong soft spot for Robbie Amell. 
Uh, this is the guy who played the original Firestorm on CW on Legends Tomorrow. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He played it on the Flash, and then he was he he, oh, he, sorry, yeah, he, yeah. he died before Legend of Tomorrow was a thing. Okay, I couldn't remember exactly the timeline. I just remember he was the he was the original other half of Firestorm. Yeah, he was the original half of Firestorm. He was also in the Tomorrow People. Uh, okay, I never saw that one. I know I knew it was a thing, but I never saw it. Yeah, and then he also was in two episodes of How I Met Your Mother, where he played a character called Scooby. Okay. Who was just a dog, but a person. Something else that came out recently, I saw a movie Mellon, but I'll, I'm going to look through his IMDb. Uh, he also was in a, also recently had a movie called Code 9, I think. Uh, Code, that. Well, it was either Code 9 or Code 8. Just It was him and Steven in a okay. world of people with superpowers. I'm trying to see what did I seek in the But yeah, so Oh, don't know if that's a good thing or not, but I liked him in the dumb Netflix movie The Babysitter. <laughs> yes, he was really good in the babysitter. Yeah. I was trying to remember what it's like that. He left a impression on me somewhere, like that was it. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be interesting seeing him play Chris. And it's also interesting like seeing like the idea for that movie being like concurrently telling the stories of Resident Evil One and Two. Which it should, like, you mean two and three? Nope, one and two. Really? Yes. Okay, so that, because there's going to be some time jumping in there because the the events of the first Resident Evil are supposed to have happened, like, months before two and three, so. Yeah, no, it is, yeah, it is, uh, yeah, the story looks like it's going to be um, Claire and Leon doing stuff in Raccoon City as Claire is trying to get the dirt on on Umbrella to release to the public. And then it is Chris and his stars team uh, going to the manor, going to the mansion and finding shit there. Okay, so there won't, there shouldn't that in that case be much of the apocalyptic zombie shit in Raccoon City until like maybe close to the end. I don't know. I think it's. I think what they're doing is they're doing it concurrently, where like the zombie stuff is happening in Raccoon City, and then Claire is like, "Okay, I'm going to do this stuff in the city. I need you to look at this mansion." Okay. So all right. That's a, that's a change to the story, but all right. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, you know uh, the guy who plays um, the fucking... I can't remember the actor or character name, but the guy who plays like the big ape guy in the Umbrella Academy? Uh, I know I know the, what the actor you're thinking of. I can't remember his name. But yes, yes, he's Wesker. Okay. That's a different take on Wesker, but that's fine. I kind of keep him distinct. Like the guy who played him in the... The Jovovich movies looks like Wesker from the games, but he was just not a particularly good actor. Yeah, no, it so. was it was very bizarre that they managed to find someone who was such tone perfect, both in terms of his look and quality of acting. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that that makes too much sense, actually. But yeah, so free guy. Free guy. Uh, for those who don't know, it's about an NPC who gets sentience and then is like, "Yeah, I'm a, I'm a do game stuff." Yeah, yeah. Uh, Make out with a Lara Croft esque character. Yeah, Molotov girl. Yeah, and so that's the main kind of hook of the story. That's, that's the main like in game story. The outworld story is that that woman, as well as uh, fuck, I can't remember the actor name, but uh, fucking. Steve. Steve from Stranger Things. Oh, uh, okay. I'll look it up. You talk. Yeah. So the two of them 
were like indie game developers who were working on this like incredibly advanced um basically like sandbox sim kind of thing uh called i can't remember the name of the, i can't remember the name of the game they were working on but it was basically like they wrote a very advanced ai program where people would buy the game and then just basically watch these ai develop humanity okay so joe curie joe curie okay yeah I had to keep because I my, whenever I, you tell me an actor from um, Stranger Things, my my brain always defaults to Finn Wolfhard, but I know it wasn't Finn Wolfhard. So yeah, yeah. So like the two of them were like indie game developers working on this incredibly advanced AI s- system for this game, but then their company got bought out. the cur- The project was scrapped, and then and and then uh and so then Joe Joe Kearney, he uh Kearney, he started working for the game developer that took over his company. And then the girl, uh, Molotov girl, uh, she started trying to go through the game, trying to like find glitches and go through the source code of the game that what she could get access to, to try to find proof that they stole her work, stole her and Joe's work, and then use it in the game without credit. P-theft from major game companies? I know, right? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it is shocking. It is not not shocking. It's kind of like tone deaf for this movie put out by Disney to have the main villain be a completely uh, up. Well, as- I mean, it's weird how many times Disney has done that, where they have let the villain of a Disney movie be uh, an out of touch billionaire who steals or buys everything and denies access to the people who created it, because it just keeps happening in too many movies, and there are movies Disney once made. So I don't. I guess Disney just either just doesn't give a shit, or they they're that unaware of how they're perceived by the rest. Of the world. Yeah, and we we mentioned like uh, earlier, like feeling feeling like the crunch in the in the movie when like it changes from one part of the screenplay to another. Yeah, the doing it feels um, calculated, not effortless. Yeah, there is a point in this. Where it feels like it's it feels like they got to that point in the movie and then Disney bought 20th Century Fox. Okay. Because because so. like near the end of the movie, there's like this big fight going on. I'm not going to get into spoilers for that, but they're getting to the, they're, there's this fight happening, and then all of a sudden, f- guy pulls out Captain America's shield, the Hulk's hand, and a lightsaber. Because you know. Didney, and it, and it was like accompanied with the Avengers theme and then a Star Wars theme, as well as one of the as well as the fucking Molotov girl who's watching the fight happen over a live stream. Go, yeah, that's right. It's a freaking lightsaber with that intonation. Yeah, that sounds like the moment, um, like the Disney executives walking. Uh, excuse me, we have a few points we'd like to raise. Yeah. This is a video game, right? And they have corporate tie-ins. Uh, it is. I laughed so hard. Not because it was yeah, funny, but because it was so out of touch. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, like the the rest of the movie, it. It is. It is. It it raises a lot more interesting questions than it's willing to answer. Because, like, so, 
so like guy is the first thing he was he is this like as soon as he saw like molotov girl he's like oh fuck that yes that i need i want i want and then begins developing like you know personality and wants and desires and stuff and actually begins infecting other npcs in the game like like the like the first time he meets her he the first time he meets her it was like after his morning routine where he goes into the coffee shop and orders the exact same cup of coffee every time and then after he meets her he goes down there's like she goes to hand him his usual and it's like ah, you know i'm thinking something maybe different and the camera slowly starts tilting into a dutch angle like like it's a fucking horror movie it's like i think i have a cappuccino and then everyone in the cafe everyone in the cafe just turns to him it's like wait what what are you doing you you always have this. Why are you? Why are you asking for something else? Stop it! Don't. What is happening? And like a cop looks like he's about to restart reaching for his gun because this guy is like asking for something out of out, off script or something. Yeah, so it's like the Truman Show in a video game. Yeah, but no one knows why. It's it's just hey, he yeah. did something different. That is scary to all of us. Mm-hmm. But then that actually starts infecting other people, like that, like that calf, like that barista. She starts making cappuccinos and like other types of coffee drinks. Uh, there's like this one woman character. Uh, she is, she's like you know the hot girl who goes around with the guy with the big gun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and like and like guy like takes him out and, and he's like, hey, you know you deserve better. And then she starts writing a treatise on like feminism. Okay. And like and like other shit like that starts happening and. It leads like this weird like ground swell in the NPCs where they be- where they all basically break out break out and begin to be their own people, and like it's a lot of really interesting philosophical stuff. And like Molotov girl kind of begins developing feelings for guy, which is a bit weird because you know he's a he's an artificial real. intelligence. Yeah. I mean, a, a guy in Japan married his Game Boy, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, but like they, they don't go full her with it, which I didn't expect them to. Okay. But it's like they bring up these questions, and they're just like, yeah, but, yeah that's happening, all right. Goodbye. Yeah, like it, it, the movie's a lot of fun. The movie is better about the game integration and the video game stuff than a lot of other video game movies. Uh, the game itself is, it looks unwieldy and like it would be hell to play because it's all just griefing. Uh, so like most, uh, most MMO, like most online all the time games these days. Yeah. Uh, and probably the weakest element of the entire movie to me is Taika Waititi. Yeah, I, I saw that, that like he's playing the like out of touch bad guy and maybe it doesn't work it does not to me it does not work to me at all i just find him incredibly grating nothing he's nothing he says is very funny i don't find the physical humor super funny that he does because he doesn't because it's a lot of just him moving weird yeah and yeah like even going back to the movies he's famous for like uh what we do in the shadows or uh Thor Ragnarok. Not all the things that he thinks is funny, I think are funny. So it's yeah, it can be. It is possible for him to make something that I don't consider funny. So that I can believe that. I, also, I don't know if he works all that well as an actor. So yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing I will say that really bugged me. This this didn't bug me until the very end. 
But for most of the movie, it was like, all right, all right, fucking guy and girl, they are friends. But and there is nothing romantic about them because that is all about fucking this. That's all about fucking Molotov girl and guy. Nope. Turns out they did nothing to develop it. They did nothing to they did one thing to set it up, kind of. But it made sense that it wasn't. That it wasn't like an actual setup for a romance thing. And they just go, yeah, it was a romance thing the entire time. Huh? And I'm like, fuck it. God damn it. Just, I don't know why it's bugging me so much lately, but it really fucking pisses me off when they have an opportunity to just have a guy and a girl be friends and have one of them not be gay. Because that yeah, seems to be I, the I, only fucking way a guy and a girl can be friends is if they are. I hate, I hate that the, the, the default is man, woman must fuck. Yeah. It's like, what if we want to be friends? All right, make one of them gay. What? But come on, Why man. Does he have to be gay? Because if they're male or female and they're not gay, someone has to fuck. No, they don't. But they... that doesn't make any sense. That if that if world if the world worked that way, that would be the world. Literally, always people are fucking all the time. It's like that's not how anything works. <sighs> but that's how movies work. Yep it it just bugs me. I don't like it. I don't. Oh, like... I, I do too. There are a number of cases where I was like. There should never have been a romantic invo- subplot involved here, but you went with it anyway. I don't know why you felt the need to go with it here, but you did anyway. Yeah, like the only thing in recent memory I can think of where it was, hey, here's a guy and a girl, and by the end of it, they don't get together because they never were going to get together in the first place, was like Pacific Rim. Yeah. Was that movie any good? The, the first Pacific Rim? Yeah, I remember watching it. I can't remember my opinion on it. It's fine. I think the love of it is kind of overblown because as much as I like Del Toro as a visual filmmaker, I think he sometimes does not grasp how to write characters. <laughs> and I think that was particularly a problem with Pacific Rim because Charlie Hunnam, uh, the white lead, the male lead in that, was like a... a a boring block of wood that had no character to him at all, and just the most boring backstory. And the Mako Mori, the 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 Asian female partner, was interesting, but she basically her plot disappeared under the boring male plot too often. So I just didn't care. And ah, the, the fights are and the fights are good, but like, and this is a, again, this is the in kaiju movies is that. Yes, good kaiju action can and well shot kaiju action can get me through a movie. But if you want me to stick with it long term and rewatch it over and over again, I need investment in the story. And I just the story is not there in the, in Pacific Rim, and it's apparently even worse in the second one, which I never watched. But yeah, and I didn't bother with it either. But all the, the very few things I liked about the first one, they're gone because like they couldn't get Ron Perlman back for the first because. Del Toro was no longer involved, and Charlie Day was now the main bad guy, which is a mistake. But yeah, <sighs> yeah, I just, I just don't care. I, and so it's that's kind of on the high side of the of the good of the me, of the mechasm. <laughs> oh yeah, the mechasm. <laughs> huh. Anyway. Yeah, free guy. It is. It is pretty good. Check it out, Birdie. All right, so I'm gonna speed through a couple of these because I just noticed how long we've been talking. So, yeah, it's almost three uh, hours. Yeah. 
So let me. And uh, only rapid- 30 minutes of it was wrestling. Yeah. So let me rapid fire a couple of these just so I can get my thoughts out. Um, the Swamp Thing movie for the Siffy Channel. The very definition of the meh chasm. Better than it had any right to be, but not good. Not all that good. Uh, going through the, uh, the, I've been watch. I watch a lot of Jeff Klein animated shows. Uh, I think you've watched some of these. Just to mention a few, like Men in Black the series, Godzilla the series, Big Guy and Rest of the Boy Robot, yeah. Jackie Chan Adventures, just to name a few. Um, Jackie Chan Adventures is probably the one that ran the longest. Uh, and of the ones I mentioned, it's the one with the most like ongoing continuity across seasons. Which was good for the first two seasons because it lets you essentially develop a strong cast of characters that could develop. Like of all the characters to get the most development, no one thought it would be the sumo wrestler uh, lieutenant bad guy from season one. But he's the most <laughs> developed character across all five seasons. Uh, unfortunately, the continuity ish errors ran into them because basically once they finished their story after season two, they had no idea what to do. So they started like knit uh like they essentially season two is the longest. I don't know if you know how long if you watched any of Jackie Chan Adventures. But, I did, but um, I don't remember a whole lot about it. Yeah, the first season is quick thirteen episodes. It's just the story they wanted to tell with the magic talismans and the giant dragon demon. Yeah, that's uh, primarily two, what I know about it. Yeah, which is the the first good season. Uh, the story part of season two is also good because they essentially. Uh, they basically turned the main bad of the uh, second season of the first season into a little bitch because his siblings are all much bigger douchebags than him. <laughs> so, and so they're the fight, the main fight, the main enemies of the story part. But the problem is the story with uh, the other demons that are the siblings of the main villain from season one. That's only a third of the season, which is 39 episodes. The rest is all one offs, which is kind of annoying to watch. Uh, on a week to be basis, but they basically use that to figure out, okay, what do we do from here? And so they basically picked a few good ideas from those random one-off episodes to make the season three of who had an okay villain, but then season four, they ran out of the ideas after that. So season four and five are either nothing to write home about or just flat out awful because season four, season five, uh, season four, they decided, okay, we've done too much with the Chinese stuff in seasons one, two, and three, because, you know, Jackie Chan, so Chinese stuff. Um, so they decided to shift uh, to the to Japanese stuff, because, uh, again, the major supporting character, Toru, is Japanese. Um, but he's... It's just like uh, the Oni mask shit is just boring, and repetitive and there's not enough differentiation between what the demons do when you have the mask on for it to be particularly interesting so there's no point to it but it's because like season three is not particularly good either it's already getting into rehash because like oh season one we did the talismans season three oh we'll do the talismans again but instead of them being just like inside little stones where a person can hold them and use the powers they're inside random sentient animals who can use the powers at random moments to make weird crazy shit happen Okay, dumb premise, but can be entertaining. Season four, it's just, oh, you put on a mask, you become a demon. Okay. Woo! Demons. Okay, boring. Uh, these demons can be <clears throat> control 
some type of the shadow ninja monsters from season one. Okay, woo. Uh, but season five is the worst because they decided that the 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 villain of season five should be the uh, so the main villain demon, the dragon from season one, Shindu. The villain of season five should be Shindu's uh, annoying teenage dragon son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh Played wow by, um, that was so funny i peaked yeah like i said bad decision played the only thing that's interesting about him is it just makes me uh shake my head and i'm glad he was doing other good voice work at the time because it's michael rosenbaum doing the voice oh yeah right at the same time he was doing the flash yeah it is i never thought like back when i was like back when i watched smallville I never thought that I'd be like, yeah, Michael Rosenbaum, that's a fucking draw. Yeah. I mean, he is for animation. I like whenever he does The Flash. Yeah, he's a fantastic voice actor. Yeah. He's just... And honestly, I don't think he was that bad as uh, Lex Luthor. It's just Smallville. It was just very badly written. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, because of that season five, it's basically unwatchable because the villain's annoying as shit. And he was just like, fuck off. (laughs) Uh... I like Big Guy and Rusty the Boy Robot. I did not think anyone could make a fun, watchable show out of a kind of dumb Frank Miller comic. Um, I I keep forgetting that that comic was written by Frank Miller. Yeah. Until you look at it, it's like, no, that's Frank Miller. That makes sense. Or that, again, that, again, same people could make a fun, watchable show out of the 98 Roland Emmerich Godzilla movie. Yeah. Those folks were kind of powerhouses back in the day. Yeah. Well, they still are because um, what else did they make? They also made Transformers Prime, which a lot of people liked. Uh, Jeff Klein's about to make a Magic the Gathering show for Netflix. Oh, right. I keep. I did not know he was involved in the Magic the Gathering show. Yeah, I didn't either until recently, but I saw that. Yeah, I, th- like, I thought that was the Russos. No, they're involved. No, they're involved. They're producing it, but uh, he's apparently like the sh- the either the executive producer or the showrunner for it. Oh, and apparently, I did not know this. Apparently, uh, they've cast Gideon. It's gonna be Brandon Routh. Huh. Okay. I never really got Brandon Routh. I never really got Chad vibes from Brandon Routh. Because for those who don't know, Gideon Jura is lovingly referred to as Chad. Yeah. All right. So I'm just trying to see if there's anything else I missed because it's amazing. Because in case you couldn't get it, he looks like a Chad. Just see if there's anything else worth mentioning. Uh, oh, he was in that uh, that one season should have lasted longer. GI Joe Renegade show. It was actually pretty good, which is all free on YouTube because uh, apparently Hasbro was like, "Eh, it's fine. No one cares." <laughs> oh man, I'm right. Remember the? Did you have? Did you? Did have we ever talked about the GI Joe movies? No, and I don't like them. I've seen. I never. I never didn't see Snake Eyes, but I saw both of the other two. The first one's kind of like fun, dumb movie, but the the second one's kind of like a boring slog. <laughs> I remember, and I, I I watched these back when I was an idiot, which could have been yesterday, but yeah, me too. But I remember enjoying the second one more than the first one 
Um, I think at the time I saw it, I might have enjoyed the second one more than the first one. But on uh, on upon like thinking about them again, I enjoy the first one more just because yes, there is it, the second one feels kind of more like a GI Joe movie, but it's also not as fun to watch because the action they severely slash the budget, so the action is just kind of cheap. Uh huh. It's also one of those movies that's kind of the start of the Bruce Willis does not care period from basically then to now because it's never ended. Yeah, Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis is almost the second he lost all his hair. Bruce Willis stopped caring. Yeah. Okay, so I'm trying. To, so the only other uh, Chris Jeff Klein shows I'm think so I mentioned Transformers Prime, which I think is good. Uh, uh, Extreme Ghostbusters is okay, but it's too '90s for my taste at this point. Yeah, <laughs> Extreme <laughs> Ghostbusters. Yeah, the only thing, but it, again, speaking of good writing from it, um, the Ghostbusters comics took a character from it and made her a mainstay because she's the one everyone liked best, the Kylie. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I yeah, think they, I think they also they also tried to uh, make the uh, 2016 Ghostbusters team likable. Yeah, uh, they failed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of hard there. That shit was badly written. Yeah, that from the ground up. Yeah. It's, and, uh, it's kind of uh, hard. It's kind of hard to write directionless improving. Yeah, and so and the earliest show he worked on, which actually I'm surprised told the full story. Uh, uh, he did his own version of Jumanji, which is actually much better than the movie because uh, it's it's still the movie characters and the movie story. It's just that instead of everything from Jumanji coming out in the real world. They basically have an excuse every episode for the kids to get sucked into Jumanji while playing the game. And unlike in the movie, where it's just something they they roll the dice, see it, and they see something in the little viewer, and something then happens. The viewer then is supposed to give them a clue for how to finish their turn and get back out and progress the game. So you know it's actual like game mechanics versus the Jumanji movie, which is just shit happens. Yeah, both Jumanji movies where it's just shit happens. Yeah. It's the only thing that kind of annoys me is just, like, the aesthetic of it, because, I mean, Jumanji as a whole is already based on the idea of, like, what white racists thought uh, colonial Africa was. So they kind of play up that aspect a little bit with stuff like the rhinos having sharp teeth <laughs> or, uh, or or there being a, uh, or there being a, a tribe of... You, you know those uh, those giant masks that certain African tribes wear, yeah, uh, or their soon is wearing. Imagine if that was just their face. Yeah, uh, I just looked it up. The Bog Leech tribe. Yeah. So that it's okay. I mean, it's better than the movie, which I don't think holds up that well. But yeah, the movie's not great. No. Okay, so I got through. Let's see. I'm trying to think, if there's anything else? Uh, Static Shock, the show, is still good. I yeah. was watching it again because I, I missed it. And it's one of those shows that, and speaking of triggering, it has episodes about the stuff that triggers me, like school bullying, school shootings, and high school students dealing with deep, dare, difficult shit topics. But then it will also just have shit like Static having to fight um, a literal shadow monster with Batman, with, with Joker chasing them with a Joker-themed fire truck. Yeah. Or static chasing a bouncing rubber ball down the street after it killed somebody. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll get you, or, rubber band man. Yeah. Or one of his villains just being uh, a Jamaican guy with big feet. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, do you read the new uh, Static Shock comic? Uh, I have not yet. I saw, I've seen bits and pieces. It looks like they've decided Hot Streak is going to just be full-on racist and not a bully. Yep. But <laughs> I, Which I guess fits with today's trappings. I've actually been reading some of the original Icon comics where Static was uh, introduced, and so those kind of go some interesting directions for mid '90s stuff. Yeah, I, I read I read a bit of those too. They they were they were cool, like showing, like having the having the hero actively go out and try to get a gun to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, it was like showing the different aspects of like that style, like that that lifestyle happening, and it it was it was cool. Yeah, Stat, Static or, Shock I mean, has always been cool like that. Yeah. Which is why I guess why I appreciate that one of the collections of Static Shock comics is called The Rebirth of Cools. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just wish DC would figure out what to do with him because yeah. he, when you have a black teenage urban superhero, it should not be difficult to make that a marketable sensation. But apparently, DC does not know what to do with him. Wait, DC not DC having questionable direction, creative directions for their characters? That's impossible. Yeah, shocking. I know. <laughs> Static shocking. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think I'll finish. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't know if has Caveman mentioned Cadillacs and dinosaurs to you. I feel like we've talked. I feel like we've talked about it at some point. I don't know. Okay. That, that might have just been me, you, and Nico talking about it. Okay, I mean the show is better than it should be because it's a it's a CBS mid '90s animated show. So, and really, it should have lasted longer than it did because it's like if it its premise is like if Captain Planet tried <laughs> because it's a whole premise. And I, uh, I I'm gonna I think I sent this to you. I don't know if I did. I'm gonna look again. Um, uh, uh, the writer of this of the the original book, Xenozoic. Uh, I, I wish I had my copy of the because I have a big omnibus of the uh, 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 of the uh, comics that was based on um, uh, Mark Schultz. Uh, he he basically envisioned it as like a essentially what if Fallout but with dinosaurs. And he just turned that into like an environmentalist message, and he does it much more constructively. Like instead of like uh, the main villain of the show, who is like the the corrupt governor of the one major city left on the surface, um, if she were a Captain Planet villain, she would just be like, "Oh, uh, I steal oil and energy, and it destroys the planet, but I don't care because I'm evil. Yeah. I'm gonna make this oil tanker explode. Why? Because yeah. fuck the penguins." Yeah. But uh, in this, so here's an example. So in an early episode, there's um, a stampede of Triceratops. So um, uh, the, uh, the, the of course, that's a problem for people who live around the city. So the governor's like, okay, let's blow up all the Triceratops. Uh, the main character's like, um, no, that's a bad idea. And they're like, why? Which is, because the Triceratops are the only things keeping the giant Tyrannosaurs away from the city. And they're like, oh, well, then we'll just kill those too. It's like, okay, well, then what about all the raptors that are left once all the apex predators are gone? Okay, we'll poison them too. It's like, great. Now there's no dinosaurs. It's like, uh, profit? Basically, 
And a lot of her, a lot of her plots are that kind of thing. Like, for example, she fought. She's, of course, in any uh, Fallout-esque world, they're looking for like ancient technology. So she breaks into this uh, lab looking for ancient technology. Instead, she finds um, a bunch of driller robots with um, learning hive mind. That's not a problem. Not at all. I assume they have the three laws of robotics installed too. <laughs> If they do, they don't bother because they almost immediately drill someone in half. Tight. <laughs> Again, kids show on CBS in the 90s. Yeah. Also very rare for a kid show at all to have the main villains like motivations be like be like, yo, fuck the long term fuck long term demand, short term profits. Yeah. But again, that's but also in terms of like a, as a villain in a Captain Planet esque, this is why an environmental message show that's better than it should be. <laughs> yeah, no, because like with most environmental shows, it's like I'm going to destroy the environment. Why? Because I want to. But then with this, it sounds like it's I'm going to destroy the environment. Why? Because this thing is inconveniencing me, and it will benefit me in the short term. Yeah, which is a more believable, and honestly, it's actually too real. Yeah, a, <laughs> that's that's just reality. That's, yeah, but yeah, um, the premises uh, and it, for like an, obviously the main male character is like the ultimate manly man since this is based on like an '80s take on pulp comics. But honestly, you kind of love the character too much to matter that he's such like a manly man because also he I I think it it's not as clear in the comics, but I think they made him Native American. Or Native American inspired in the show because his name is Jack Tenrick, which is not really a very white guy name. Yeah, and like he deliberately has like darkened uh, skin and black hair, which is I think associate more with a Native American thing. And he also seems to be one of those people who is both a technical realist, but understands and co- and connects with the more spirituality side that we associate with like Native American characters in these kinds of stories. So. But that won't stop him from um, having a fist fight with a guy on top of a triceratops that he's riding to stop a stampede. Naturally. Yeah. Plus Doc Samson, eat your heart out. Yeah. Plus, the main villain is basically the bad guy from The Road Warrior, as played by um, uh, <laughs> uh, the guy who plays Darkseid in DC Universe. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that fucking good shit. Lord Humongous is played by Michael Ironside. Basically. That sounds fucking awesome. Yeah. But again, only 12 episodes in 1993. Only allowed to exist because Jurassic Park kept making money throughout the entire year of 1993 and into the present. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. Uh, So, yeah, so it shouldn't, it should, it should suck. But it doesn't. So it's. I, I actually. It's all free on YouTube. I, I, I'd actually watch an episode or two if you're curious. Alrighty. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Wildcats sucks. Don't need to explain that in any more detail. Uh, so uh, uh, you asked me about this, and I actually watched again just to see a little bit of it again to see if I have thoughts on it. So this is what I'll end with on mine. Um, I rewatched Roswell, the original series. Okay. Yeah. This. Yeah, we we got into a bit of a discussion a little while ago just about our various like teen bullshit shows we fall into. Yes. Uh with me particularly it was Teen Wolf. 
mm-hmm. which is what kind of sparked the conversation initially because Teen Wolf's getting a reboot, which seems like a terrible idea. Yes, basically, particularly given the premise they're going with. Yeah. Whereas I went with um, Roswell. And for a late, for a WB era, late 90s, early 2000s show about... Um, okay, so this premise is basically Twilight. Like, down to high school, I, but like specifically, like normal high school girl gets shot in the first five minutes to and nearly killed in a random shooting in a in a diner she's working in gets saved by the uh, the the awkward hunky loner boy she's constantly crushing on but won't say anything who turns out to be an alien <laughs> and. He's part, and he and his adopted sister and another person are all um, uh, survivors of the alien crash in Roswell, New Mexico from 1947. This just, they age much more slowly because of their alien DNA. It can only and, be exactly Twilight if there was a secondary best friend supernatural creature who was there to hunt the aliens. Okay. Yeah, I don't, um, the closest they have to that is that her original boyfriend, who actually... I rewatched the ending uh, instead of like being like the um, whatever the two Edward and whatever the other guy is Jacob from Twilight. Uh, he he joins like he doesn't interrupt the ship as it were. Bad pun unintended. Uh, he doesn't, rock, for the doesn't rock the boat. That, like, it, yeah, he doesn't rock the boat because uh, he eventually just he eventually befriends the alien who uh, cucked him. Uh, and actually defends him against his dad, who's the evil sheriff trying to catch the aliens stereotype, played by an appropriate actor for that, William Sadler. Ah, William Sadler. Hmm. I love that guy. Yeah, he 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 plays good douchebag, which is then weird that he plays good douchebag with redemptive arc that works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so actually, this is. I don't know if they will. Probably not. But do they at all bring up, hey, you've been here since the 60s and you look like a 17-year-old. Oh yeah. How no, is that do. going to affect the future? Oh, yeah. I They talk about it, but I think I guess they kind of brush it aside because at the end of it, um, the main lead, the, the last scene is the main female character marrying the male lead as they're on the run from the government. Yeah, because all I'm just seeing there is just like she's in her 40s and that kid looks 18. Yeah, I don't know. That could potentially happen because it took them until I mean, I don't know how long he's looked like a teenager, but it, uh, if he was a child in the 1940s, then it's it's going to be a problem. Yeah, a little bit. And I'd have to rewatch the whole thing to know for certain how they handle that. I don't know all the details, but I don't imagine uh, they do handle it. Because like that is Possibly. a because that is a level of forward thinking that does not exist within teen romance. Fair enough, yeah. Oh, but I will say for a a three season show on the WB in the late nineties, early two thousands, it's managed better. And, and like I I watched the the first few episodes and the last few, and they all seem like they fit together. Like there's not I don't feel like I'm lost watching either end, which to me seems like they stayed true to what they were trying to do. Unlike something like say Smallville, where after like the first season, you're like, how did we get here? 
Have you seen any of the new series? No. I guess I'm curious because I still, like I said, in terms of trash teen shows, I still like um, Roswell. And I, you might like it. I don't know. But because it's it's does lots of, it does kind of like a bunch of like X Files type stuff on top of the teen romance stuff, so it's actually more tolerable. Yeah, I might and check it out, it. and I also might, I also might check out the remake or the reboot, re whatever. Yeah, I may as well. I, I'm at least engaged enough by it again to <clears throat> enjoy it, uh, yeah. at least in, attempt to enjoy it. And here's the funny thing: so Roswell, so the new series, Roswell, New Mexico, as it's called. Yeah. Has been running for three seasons, much like the original Roswell series. They yeah. have half as many episodes almost. Okay. Yeah, so the original the original series the original series, the original series in oh, sorry, go ahead. They each season was there's three seasons between nineteen ninety nine to two thousand two, and they're all like twenty to twenty one episodes. Yeah. So the original series had sixty one episodes across three seasons. And then the new series has 37 episodes across three seasons. Yeah, so the more typical, like, 13, 12 yeah. to 13 episode run, which is more common now. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if that see, like, any kind of uh, comparison. Yeah, it's possible. And weirdly, also, so... I'm also interested, as, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just that it might be, I might watch it just to see a comparison for... Like late '90s WB style writing of this type versus late 2010s style writing of this type. Yeah, compare how it's changed in the two decades since I was the age to appreciate it. It seems like one of the biggest changes is a uh, lead character is uh, apparently the daughter of an undocumented immigrant. Okay. Um. So, you know, that, I'm assuming there will be some immigration metaphor in this entire series. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not the worst idea, but it could, it, it might be annoying. It, yeah. I, I'd have to see. Given how well that, Supergirl handled it. Yeah, we've, every time we have seen um, superhero or like teen oriented shows try to handle immigration issues, they often are clunky at best. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. Yeah, I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. Because talking with you has actually improved my mood compared to where I was post-licking. So, Same, uh, man. I have had a fucking couple of days. Not anything like you had, just mentally. And it has been... And, like, not being able to talk to Cave just because he doesn't have his internet right now. Oh, I haven't, I haven't seen any of my significant friends... In seven or eight weeks because of Ida. So it's. Yep. I've had to make do with talking with people. So it's been nice talking with you as long as we have. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, <sighs> I still. As. As. Intent, as it is what it is, as Roswell is. I, that, that probably doesn't make sense, but that's. It, it is. I still enjoy it for what it is. And. So I don't feel bad that I bought the entire thing in a $10 box set at some point, even despite that I'm over 30. So Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so yeah. I finished up my things I got to talk about. All right. Uh, anything else you got to talk about? 
Um, don't think so. Uh, I guess I'll just I'll just say my thought. I don't think I've ever said my thoughts on this movie on this podcast. Just given that the sequel just came out. Have you seen Venom? No. Okay. Yeah. God, it's a dumb. It is a dumb movie that people liked for unintentional reasons. Because the moment it basically turned into a gay buddy romance movie between Venom and Eddie Brock, it was enjoyable, but unintentionally so. Whereas the more generic, bad Sony action movie surrounding it was lame and dull. Like, down to the point where, hey, what villain of Venom should we have be the bad guy? Riot. Who? Exactly. (laughs) I and it's just a whole bunch of '90s cliche shit that we hate, like she, like she Venom. Remember yep. that? Yep, I remember. I remember she Venom. It's it. Apparently, it's in the second one as well because apparently that reviewed well the first time. Oh joy! Yeah. Who and then the only- doesn't love she Venom, baby? Yeah. The only other thing that I found amusing. Uh, and I've done this both with Caveman and uh, Jimmy, who I watched this with, uh, is the uh, wasted money counter. <laughs> because there's a... So, this is a smart plan, dumbly implemented, that I love. So, the bad guy who wants the symbiote that is Venom is like tr- has like, okay, I've got these drones that I've uh, keyed with the symbiote's genetic signature. That should make it easy to track. Okay, cool. That's a smart plan. But then he's like, okay, we found it. So now these unarmed um, drones are going to dive bomb him. And that will work. <laughs> and they do this. How many? They do this 18 times. What the they fuck? Have the, with blue, the, the, these giant blue balls of fire just have these hyper expensive gene coated drones try to dive bomb Venom. Uh, You'd think after the first time it didn't work, they'd go like, hey, maybe we think, maybe we spend more than five seconds on a plan. Yeah. When the witch is lit, but uh, they they said this offhand, but it's still funny that each of these drones cost $20 million. (gasps) So, so Jimmy and I just had a little counter in our head saying 20 million, 40 million, 60 million. By the end of it, we got to, they spent $360 million trying to blow up Venom. You'd think after all the testing they did on them, they might have think they might have like put like sonic cannons in the front of them. Yeah, well, just which is why the uh, um, how it should you should watch that even if you don't watch the movie, the how it should have ended for Venom is hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's like because it it's a reference. To, it also references the Spider Man three one. It's like here's a bright idea. Why don't we de- why don't we divide drones that don't just slam into things or give them with like guns or tranks or tasers? Like is that? Oh my god, we're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Christ! Yeah, but Venom sucks, so I Venom. I don't know why it's coming back for a sequel. I I don't know if they got uh your beloved Eminem back for a sequel song about Venom. I'm more interested they got uh, I'm more interested they got Run the Jewels back. Ah, because they actually had because Run the Jewels had a song for Venom One called the Royal We. Yeah, and it was actually it was actually an alright song. 
Run the yeah, jewels so, is very run the jewels is very good. Yeah. So I well, think I know I honestly don't back wanna, like a turd yeah, in the wind. Yeah. And actually that's the other one you should watch. They made an entire separate how it should have ended for that scene, people pointing out how stupid that line is. Yeah. <laughs> and just having Venom react is like like Wait, what did I just do say? You not, you know, do you not know? Like like people saying, No, Venom, that's stupid. Why would you say this? Like, it why do you not get our threatening catchphrases? It is a saying on my home surgery. planet. Yeah. And he says things like, This is not rocket surgery. <laughs> Uh, so the uh, only reason I would ever let you watch Venom is if we had to riff it for your site, but that's entirely up to you. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe we'll have to. <laughs> like, I could get through it for a riff, but God, God, it's going to be bad. Yeah, just load, up on <laughs> al- just load up on alcohol and we'll just fucking go. Oh, <sighs> Yeah. Grab any of the bottles you have stashed in your desk at school. Yeah, I have to. I have to lock my alcohol at school in a uh, airtight, uh, sealed container because my kids are thieves. So. Yeah. You just go and you see the bottom half of your desk. You see like the, like that entire side section of your desk where the, where the store just gone. It's like, all right, who took my liquor? Yeah. <laughs> you just like start. You just like start slowly twitching because you said liquor. Uh, yeah, but I'm done. I'm done. Alrighty. News stuff. We have some. Uh, first up, Marvel is suing people to block their claims on copyright. Oh, we own you, bitch. Yes. So Marvel filed five lawsuits um, c- about two weeks ago. Let me just actually get the exact date here. Yes, two weeks ago on the uh, 24th. Uh, to block heirs of comic book creators from reclaiming copyrights on his popular characters, including Spider-Man, Iron Man, Thor, Black Widow, Captain Marvel, Ant-Man, and Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah, this comes after uh, the heirs of those creators, uh, which are specifically the heirs of uh, Larry Lieber, uh, who co-created Thor, Iron Man, and Ant-Man, as well as the, who is also the brother of Stan Lee, as well as the estates of Steve Ditko, who co-created Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Don Heck, who did Iron Man, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, Don Rico, who also did Black Widow, and Gene Colan, who did Captain Marvel, Falcon, and Blade. And so, uh, yeah, so those estates uh, filed dozens of termination notices with the U.S. Copyright Office trying to trying to basically get back the copyright on those characters. Uh, and Marvel's like, yeah, fuck off, no. Uh, termination notices came from Mark Toberoff, who was a veteran copyright attorney who had fought similar battles on behalf of the heirs of Jack Kirby, uh, Jerry Siegel, and Joe Schuster. Uh, with Toberoff arguing that, that hey, Marvel has made billions of dollars. They're, the heirs of these creators deserve some of that. And Marvel is operating under the work-for-hire defense. Yeah. For those who don't know, this is a long-standing legal defense within the comic book community of any time any comic book creator has been like, hey, maybe pay me for my work or pay my children for my work. Work. The comic publisher's always been like, nah, I don't think so. You signed a contract. Work for hire, bitch. Which basically just means that any work that 
these creators did for the company, no matter how influential it was or how profitable it turned out to be for the company, that company owns it outright and the creator has no legal claim to it, is the defense. Because comic book creators, because comic book publishers are kind of assholes. Yeah. And this is like, and I'm torn on this only in the sense that on the one hand, you could argue that potentially if it ends up back in the hands of the creators, it'll be like that episode of The Simpsons where the guy who created Itchy and Scratchy reclaimed the rights and just sat on his pile of money and did nothing with it. So that would mean less of use of the characters. But at the same time, fuck Disney. So I... I... Yeah. Um, based on like what people have... Like other people talking about this stuff, it seems like all they were looking for was just, hey, pay us a bit and we will let you still use our characters. It, it didn't seem like the heirs were going like, yes, you have made billions of dollars, and now you will get nothing. We will take these characters back and fuck all of you. It's more like, hey, something. You give us a fraction of the percent of the money you made, and we will be happy. Yeah, no, and that at the very least, Marvel should give them something. Yeah. Because Marvel is literally nothing without its characters. Uh, so yeah, we'll see how that goes. I don't see it going well or quickly. Uh, but yeah, so the last things we got are casting news. Uh, kind of two relatively big ones. Uh, one of them is the Super Mario Brothers movie, and the other one is the new Hellraiser. Because they're making a new Hellraiser, and they have their new pinhead. Uh, okay. Pinhead... Um, hopefully it's better than the last time they recast Pinhead, because last time I heard that was like a real piece of shit. Yeah, and this one, I don't know. So, Pinhead this time around will be played by actress Jamie Clayton. uh, Who some of you may know from Sense8. Okay, I never watched that show, so that's going to not mean anything for me. She's also from the L Word Generation Q. Okay. Yeah. Um, for those who know, yeah, she is a trans actress. Okay. That's fine. And yeah, she has been cast as Pinhead. I did not like Sensate. I did not like her in Sensate. I am worried. Right. Yeah, it could be a problem. I mean, again, the, the transness is not the problem. The problem is whether or not they're a good, the, the person is a good actor or actress. Yeah. So it's. And, and, and like, especially with a and, especially with a character with as long a legacy and such a yeah. such an identifiable lead actor as Doug Bradley. Yeah. Now, granted, and I've talked about this with Caveman, it did not make sense. Like the fact that Bradley was so iconic ended up kind of fucking the series over because the way the story was originally constructed, Pinhead should not have been as prominent as he was. But they basically treated him like another slasher villain, so he kept showing up even if it made no goddamn sense for him to be there so yeah and then uh, okay so do you watch um okay uh, uh uninitiated unpaid uh reference to another youtuber uh do you watch decker shadow i do not okay um he reviewed all the hellraiser movies including the really really crappy direct-to-dvd ones and the most recent one which is 
half people in one house, half found footage. Tight. <laughs> so, at the very least... What about the one where they went to space? Uh, that was actually one. That was the last one that actually went to theaters. That's better than most of them. Because <laughs> most of the, uh, most of the, most of at this point, most of the Hellraiser movies were direct to video, and those are the really bad ones. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, it's, it's not like they have particularly high standards to hit to make another Hellraiser movie, even if I don't think it's entirely necessary. Yeah. Anyway, oh, yeah. So the other casting news is the Mario Brothers movie, right? Yes, during a yeah. Nintendo Direct, uh, they, uh, I believe it was a, a, sorry, Story Iwata retired today, and that's the name that's been stuck in my mind whenever I think of video game developers lately. Yeah, sure, I understand that. Yeah, fucking, I cannot remember. Yeah, I think it was uh, yeah Miyamoto. Was out there talking about like, and we have the cast of the new Super Mario Brothers movie. Chris Pratt will be playing Mario. Uh, yeah, he's so um, cool. He's there. <laughs> he's a problem. He's a fundamentalist psych supporter that claims he's not a homophobe. Yeah, and he's also unfortunately like it is fucking hilarious that. The shit Chris Pratt is doing now, he's totally fine with Disney. The shit, the shit James Gunn did a decade ago that he's already apologized for got him fired. Yeah, well, I mean, he the thing is, he the his problems are not related to dumb, obscene shit he may have said on social media a few de- a few years ago that he's obviously no longer doing. In his case, he's just he's a perfectly nice seeming person who supports hateful causes. Which, unfortunately, there's a lot of those people. Yeah. Uh, also in this movie, uh, Charlie Day is Luigi. That sure. could be worse. That yeah. Could work. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is Princess Peach. I have no feelings about that either way. I like Anya Taylor-Joy as a character. I'm not sure if it would make sense to her to play Peach. I don't she know. has been hit or miss in a lot of her movies for me. More often hits than miss, but I don't know how she'll fare in voice acting. Yes, because a lot of what I think of her is like her distinctive face and her facial acting, Yeah, which would be inevitably lost in a voice acting role. Yeah. And- um. So also... Uh, Running a bit more. We got a uh, Jack Black as Bowser. That's fine. I've I like Jack Black's voice acting work. I I don't mind him going heel. Yeah, like I, I was playing Psychonauts two recently, and I didn't realize that Jack Black had been in it as this character for the entire time. Yeah, like he like he he was in that he's in that game prominently as one of the like major characters for a while, and I did not realize it was him until he started singing. Oh, we also have um, Seth Rogen uh, as Donkey Kong. That's fine. Keegan-Michael Key as Toad. I actually kind of like that one. Fred Armisen. So go ahead. So it's based on most of the time Seth Rogen has done voice acting. I can kind of, if particularly if, like I just, like they're going to do even if they're going to tone it down if they're going to make him a make donkey kong a stoner because <laughs> i can kind of like, see oh that. man my bananas 
Just to get like they get pulled over or something, and Donkey Kong just like sh- furiously just shoving bananas into his mouth, yeah. trying, trying to avoid the cops. Yeah, Keegan Michael Key is Toad. Uh, Fred Armisen is Cranky Kong. Which weird okay. that Cranky Kong is getting a yeah yeah I was like why is Cranky Kong in a Super Mario Brothers movie? <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin Michael Richardson as Kamek. Okay, and uh, Sebastian Minascalo as Spike. All right, that's an odd, that's an odd collection of uh, Nintendo characters. Like Donkey Kong, okay, but some of those feel like a little disconnected from the Mario. And if this is supposed to be more of a Mario movie and not like a Nintendo Cinematic Universe movie, that's some odd choices. I feel like it's probably setting up a Nintendo Cinematic Universe. Uh, yeah, it's making Nintendo Land real. Yeah, but that but that doesn't work that well. No, like, no, it doesn't. But because they they basically did that with um, Scoob a few years ago. <laughs> oh, Scoob! Make the Hanna Barbera cinematic universe, and that didn't work either. No, it did it not. Supposed to be a Scooby Doo movie. Thing, I, I didn't even get to make good Mark Wahlberg jokes. He just didn't give me any opportunities to do the Mark Wahlberg voice. Yeah. Anyway. I think we're for this week. Thank you all for joining us. I just looked. Did you know that they could make a third God's Not Dead? They made a third God's Not Dead. Or like, I don't. Okay, what, what the fuck number is this then? God's Not Dead, four, We the People. Four or five. I can't remember. How many? How many fucking God's Not Dead? Jesus Christ! Exactly. Yeah, this is the this is the fourth God's Not Dead movie. What the shit? Yeah. God damn it, Pl- God damn it, Pure Flix, you fuckers! Kevin Sorbo, you son of a bitch! Yep. Glad I was always more of a Xena fan. Yeah. Lucy Lawless, as far as I've seen, she's fucking flawless. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Anyway, that's going to do it through this week. Thank you all for joining us. Oh, we'll be back at some point in the future with more stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, until all that, though, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie, still kind of hating humanity. Just a little less now. Thanks, yep. Dad. No problem, buddy. We will see you guys next time. Yeah,